When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Right, uh, courtesy of Brent, your local John Deere equipment supplier, we welcome you uh, into our show, Marina, to you uh, around the country listening. Um, we hope you have a good morning with us. Uh, Brent, of course, uh, 17 branches throughout the North Island and um, John Deere equipment, equipment suppliers. They are the best uh, when it comes to that. So make sure you call in uh, to uh, get all your needs and uh, questions answered and satisfied. Uh, right, let's uh, get into uh, our show this morning, which uh, we begin with uh, by going to Leeds, actually. Uh, to talk to Barrett Sundarace, and now Barrett is one of the commentators in our SENZ Dream Team, bringing us the ashes throughout the evening. Uh, Barrett's uh, really schooled up. Uh, he's a, a former, well, I say current journalist, really. He's written uh, three or four very, very good books, particularly about in Indian cricket. But uh, also he's been in, at the net sessions. He's had a look at the pitch, so we'll talk to Barrett very shortly. Uh, we will encourage you to call us uh, just after 9.30. Um, your thoughts on the Ashes? Can England uh, bounce back after this furor at Lords? Are they capable? Have they got the side? They've made some changes. We'll hear about them shortly. Um, but uh, do England have it in, the, in their makeup and their DNA to come back and win at uh, Headingley? Uh, I, I'm not sure. I, I really don't know. But I'd love to have uh, your impressions on that. And what about uh, the All Blacks that are uh, going to be named this weekend to play uh, against Argentina? Uh, who would your fullback be? Would, would you give Stevenson a go? I would. I absolutely would give uh, Sean Stevenson a go. And Narawa and Moni Narawa on the wing as well. Play them while they're hot, Fozzie. Give them a go. Uh, so what would you do? Or, I mean, I, I've picked the side. I can tell you right here and now. Um, I've only got uh, one Barrett in the starting 15, and that is Scott. Some people say all three will start. How many Barretts would you put on your side? Uh, after 9.30, love to hear your opinion on that. Uh, we will have a multi for you just uh, prior to 10 o'clock, and then we're going to go to America. We're going to talk to Grant Boone. We've had him on the show before, one of the foremost commentators on women's golf, and of course tomorrow at the famed Pebble Beach course, um, the US Women's Golf Open has played there for the first ever time. First uh, US Golf Open, the oldest women's golf tournament, uh, was uh, back in 1946. Never played at Pebble Beach. So uh, a field featuring our Lydia Co, our Amelia Garvey, uh, we'll be taking part there. We'll get uh, to Grant Boone and ask him about that. We'll have a bulletin with Jamie Wall. He'll have uh, an opinion on the makeup of the All Black side, without doubt, uh, amongst uh, other issues. And then it's a very big uh, weekend, uh, UFC 290. So we'll catch up with Mike Angove, who's, of course, uh, <coughs> one of the trainers. He's, uh, he knows all about it, Mike. He's, he's been heavily involved um, in pugilism, shall we say, over the years. And uh, Mike will talk us uh, through... The card coming up uh, this weekend featuring a couple of Kiwis with high hopes. Uh, we'll have a sports desk with Polaris. We'll have uh, a stump smithy and we'll be playing for the Canes Deer Velvet Tablets. So uh, we'll look to uh, and encourage you to, to call uh, 0800 around about 11.30 this morning. But uh, let's get on with the show, starting with some cricket. 
Well, the third test match uh, between Australia and England starts uh, tonight, New Zealand time, uh, at Headingley. Uh, wonderful ground, of course, steeped in tradition, but deep in Yorkshire country, which has uh, always been a pretty interesting place to visit as a touring team, but uh, more so now because of uh, what has happened in the second test at Lords, And, of course, uh, we've been listening to it wonderfully uh, brought to us on SCNZ here. Uh, and our commentary team, which includes uh, Bharat Sundarasan, who's uh, joined us this morning, uh, New Zealand time. Uh, it's uh, the night before over there in Leeds. Uh, Bharat, thanks so much for your time. No worries at all, Smith. Yeah, but it's all uh, happening. There's a lot of excitement around uh, not just Leeds, but around England. Uh, even the Prime Minister has tuned in. I, I sense, uh, Bharat, um, you've written a lot of books on this series in particular, uh, there might be another book coming. So much has happened in such a short space of time. <laughs> I could just write a book about that one stumping, Smithy. <laughs> the amount that has been <laughs> spoken about it. Uh, you know, and everybody's has had a voice. And, you know, it, it's bizarre. The other day I got pulled over by a cop, not because I was committing anything I shouldn't have. Uh, no crimes uh, involved. But um, I was struggling with my rental car. I got pulled over and he saw my driving license and he's like, oh, Australians cheating at the cricket, cheating on the roads. Uh, same old Aussies always cheating. So everybody's on board. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that is funny, I tell you Hey look, in all honesty, what are you expecting come uh, the first morning uh, In terms of atmosphere, put it that way Do you, do you think um, it's been played up too much Or do you think there's still genuine feeling going to be there? I think, to be honest, it has been played up a little bit. And what's happened is the English team haven't backed down, right? In fact, they've doubled down and they've said, because they had enough opportunities to say, you know what, let's move on. Joe Root's the only one maybe, who's come out and said, uh, I mean, let's focus on the cricket. Everybody else is just like, you know, Brendan McCallum said, oh, they will regret, live to regret this and all of that. So um, it, 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 they're kind of inciting that uh, that response from the English crowds. And it, it is a Yorkshire crowd, which will be rowdy. The Western terraces, as you well know, uh, will be loud and noisy and there'll be the word cheat thrown around a lot. But they also know their cricket. I think once the cricket settles down, uh, even that day, I mean, once Ben Stokes took over, I think the focus shifted towards what he was doing and not so much about what happened with Johnny Bester. Right. OK, let's uh, look at what uh, England have to do here, apart from the fact that it's plainly obvious they have to win and they have to win three in a row. Um, what have they done? Uh, well, what are you expecting that they will do when they confirm their 11? Because, of course, no Ollie Pope. So they have to make a change or two anyway. Uh, and they have, uh, Smithy. I mean, they've shuff made a proper good old shuffle. So they brought in three players. So Harry Brook goes to number three. Uh, they brought back Moeen Ali, who, uh, as you know, injured his finger in Edge Baston. Uh, so he's back batting at number seven. Uh, which means they've brought in another bowler, which is Chris Wokes comes back to play his first ever baseball test. And Mark Wood finally gets to uh, make an appearance in this series. So it's a pretty longish lower order. So Moin Ali at seven, Wokes at eight. Uh, but yeah, the extra pace of Mark Wood on a pitch which um, everybody feels will be much quicker than the, the last two. I mean, it's not going to be a fast pitch by any stretch of the imagination, but it will be quicker. So that extra yard of pace that Mark Wood brings will be crucial. And one of the other aspects, of course, of, of playing at Headingley is there's a very strong English complement of Yorkshire players. Oh, very much so. And three key players as well. I mean, Johnny Besto, you spoke about. 
there's Joe Root, there's Harry Brook. Uh, um, so, yeah, I mean, that it, it's a home test for a lot of them. Uh, Joe Root, of course, is from Leeds. And uh, because my uh, company can't afford it, I don't, I don't mean SEN, but the company I write for, I'm staying in Bradford, which is where Johnny Bairstow comes from. Uh, I was just driving around, um, you know, there are posters of Adil Rashid and Johnny Bairstow everywhere. So it's a, it's a cricket-mad county. Uh, you know, cricket is, like you said earlier, it's so seeped in their tradition. I just went to the ground, the Park Avenue ground, where the likes of Jeffrey Boycott used to play back in the day. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's going to be quite a, a, a homecoming for, for those guys. Uh, and not to forget, I mean, I think Ben Stokes has been uh, uh, accepted as an as a honorary Yorkshireman, right, after the innings he played against Australia four years ago. Well, but you're such a, a thorough commentator. You do your homework so well. You actually go to net sessions. Um, so tell us... <laughs> Tell us what you've been seeing at the relative net, the relative net sessions. Um, it's actually interesting what England have done. A, I mean, in this baseball era, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I watched Brendan McCullum walk up to Moeen Ali and say, how many more, more? And then he said two. So Brendan McCullum said two sixes, you mean? And he said, yeah, okay. And then he just hit two sixes <laughs> on the eve of a test match. But that's just baseball. Uh, but I did notice that um, yesterday it was all about short pitch bowling for all the batters. Today it was, maybe they expect this pitch to be different. Where last match we saw, what, 98% of the balls during one session was all pitched uh, half halfway down the pitch. So uh, I think that's what I saw from the English guy. From the Australian perspective, I stuck my neck out on social media and said, I don't know, I have a sneaky feeling Mitchell Marsh might play. Cam Green generally is always one to show up uh, for a net on the eve of the test. He, he wasn't there. Uh, he did have a bat yesterday, but uh, that's the only shock change, if there, if you want to call it that, that I expect. But Todd Murphy obviously comes in for Nathan Lyon. Um, and, and look, Manus Labushain batted for a long time, but when does he not, right? He's still tinkering with his technique after not having really made an impression on the series yet. And of course, Steve Smith uh, on the eve of his 100th test. Uh, what an achievement that is. Todd Murphy. Uh, you mentioned Todd Murphy. Um, he did very, very well in India. We know that uh, when he, he basically made his debut. But what about Todd Murphy as an Ashes spin bowler and a focal point of the Australian side for the next three tests, it seems? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a big challenge for him, but so was India. I mean, India, uh, like you said, he played alongside Nathan Lyon in the first test, and then he had another spinner for company. Uh, but I, I remember speaking to him there, Smithy, and he said the first ball he bowls to Virat Kohli, he said, I was standing at the top of the mark, and the Nagpur crowd was, like, roaring for Virat, and I felt nervous, but you didn't see those nerves. Like, he just improved from spell to spell. And it wasn't just the fact that he got rid of someone like Virat Kohli multiple times. He got him out in different ways. And I think he's a different bowler to Nathan Lyon. Uh, different trajectory. He uses the crease a lot more. Uh, he has a beautiful arm ball. Uh, so there is a lot to like from Todd Murphy. And also, uh, he's 22, but he just uh, seemed to belong at test level uh, when he played those four test matches. And he was as good as Nathan Lyons, which is a tall order. I mean, you're talking about someone with nearly 500 test wickets. So I think he'll go really well, even against the bass bowlers. Uh, but, uh, OK, the most important thing of the lot, generally, when we talk about going into a test match, is uh, the pitch surface. Uh, what do England, uh, what about they ordered here? Have they been able to, to get to a groundsman and saying, look, we desperately need 20 <laughs> wickets here, otherwise the Ashes is over. What kind of surface is best for England? 
I, I mean, I've been surprised with how flat the pitches have been so far because they're literally just playing into Australia's hands. In terms of, you have the likes of Usman Khawaja, Steve Smith, and Manas hasn't come to the party, but these are guys who will just bat you into the ground, right? They might not score at the pace at which England do. And and it's it, it was an aging attack. Now with Anderson out, uh, maybe it's a fresher attack in that sense. But, uh, I, I mean, just looking at it, there was a lot of live grass yesterday, uh, 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 Smithy, which is what, two days out from the test. But obviously, a lot of it was shaved off today it still has that greenish tinge but as you well know i mean in headingly it matters so much what's happening upstairs right uh, and it's been cloudy it's supposed to stay cloudy for the next few days uh, but like i said earlier i think the surface looks uh, even enough for it to have some pace because what we saw in Edgebaston especially was there was no pace and even at lords every time the sun beat down on it um, it was very very flat so hopefully that's not the case because if they uh, they can't afford to uh, let those guys in once more uh, and it doesn't suit their bowlers uh, so hopefully and, and by the looks of their attack maybe they they feel that there is something in this but but who knows right we'll have to wait and watch in terms of uh, Alex Carey, um, I'm, I'm not quite sure whether you've been able to do a study on him in the in the nets in the last two or three days. But well, how do you think um, he's shaping up here? Because all sorts of talk of extra security at the grounds, extra security around the Australian team, uh, and it's all pointed uh, at at his deed. I mean, how is Alex Carey bearing up over this? Because for a lot of players, I mean, he's been around a little while, but not forever. Uh, that could it, it could get to them. Uh, it could, but he is, and you know, as a fellow South Australian, I've seen a lot of him in the last five, six years. Uh, he's he's tough as nails inside. He's got this sweet uh, demeanor about him, and he's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Uh, but you know, he comes from a footy background as well, which gets spoken about a lot. But he's seen a lot of things in life. Uh, you know, he's seen failure. He's seen you know not being in a good place. So I don't think it'll impact him uh, so much. But a really good call from uh, Nathan Lyon. Uh, you know how precious the team song is for the Aussies. So, because Nathan Lyon has had it for the last 100 test matches, or most of those, uh, he's handed it down temporarily to Alex Carey, just showing that extra bit of support, right? Just putting an arm around him. Uh, and, and yes, I mean, I can see that the coaching staff are rallying around Alex Carey. Uh, like I said, he's, he's a tough character, but look, he's got his family here and uh, what you know, not just his family, most of the players have their families here. It wasn't easy for, for the Aussie. Uh, not so much the players, but like, you know, their, of their partners and their kids. Just the amount of abuse that they were copying uh, at Lords on day five. Uh, so, but, but I, I expect him to be to be fine. And also, if someone does leave their crease again, I expect him to stop them or run them out or whatever. That'll be interesting if uh, if there's any tempting or any fainting or, you know, a feigning of, of that kind of action. It'll be interesting to see what happens with a whether the players can quell it with a decent atmosphere on the field will be very interesting. I'll tell you who's always involved at some point is uh, David Warner. What have you made of David Warner? Now, we worked together last summer in Australia. David Warner was under pressure at that point for his place in the side. Uh, but he continues just to do enough, doesn't he? He does. And he's such a smart operator as well, right, Smithy? Before uh, the World Test Championship final, so the start of this tour, 
he just came out in the press and said like uh, i want to retire in front of my or i would like to retire in front of my home fans in sydney uh, next early next year so he basically pu- pushed the ball on into the selectors court and to his credit he's looked much better than he did in 2019 even in that game at the oval against india uh, he got a start uh, he played a crucial hand uh, in, in the lord's test of course in the first innings uh, but i think he's he, together with khawaja they produce crucial opening partnerships which australia were unable to do for four years ago when they came here for the ashes so i think he has played his part and you think uh, and you're right i mean there were when australia picked the side only for the WTC final and the first two ashes tests people just uh, felt maybe Warner's being given a farewell almost but he's done enough and he scored runs tough runs as well uh, and he's earned the right to at least finish this ashes uh, and then Australia don't play any tests before the home season so i think it seems pretty safe to say that Warner will get that farewell in Sydney uh, early January wow it's a, that is a a really good story of uh, survival and faith i think from a selectorial point of view. Uh, what's your gut feeling then, uh, Barat, on this test match? Do, uh, do England have it within them to keep this series alive, or do you think Australia will just bat them and squash them out of it from here? <laughs> oh, look, uh, it's really, England have had chances in this series. Right? It's not been Australia all the way, but they just haven't seized them. They've almost not acknowledged them. And the way I would put it is, it is it's been a battle between Australia's relentlessness with, versus England's restlessness. They've just been restless to move the game forward, which is what how they want to play. Um, I still think Australia are the better team overall. Um, and uh, uh, I, st- I do think Australia are going to... Uh, win 3-0 and then we have that long break where we, we're not sure what we're going to do uh, because I- England can get a little emotional. I mean, you saw what, how Stuart Broad was last time around. And unless unless someone pulls something something really special with the bat and they make a big first innings total, I just think uh, Australia have enough firepower to see them off uh, once more. And, and they'll, they'll go he- hell for leather against Todd Murphy. I'm not saying they're going to underestimate him, but I just have a feeling Todd Murphy is going to have a say in his first Ashes test. But uh, fantastic that you've made yourself available to us. Uh, enjoy this test match. I'm very, very jealous because I think it's going to have some real <laughs> elements in it at certain stages. And, uh, I, you know, I, I'm not a big uh, f- f- sort of fan of sitting on the terraces, but if I was there, I wouldn't mind a spot on the Western Terraces just for an hour or two. It could be fun. It really will be. But, uh, you know, the way I look, Smithy, I think I'm safe to... St- I'll I'll stay away from the Western Terraces. But no, anytime, anytime, Smithy. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me on. Yes, uh, interesting. Uh, Barrett's thought there, thoughts uh, about uh, how he thinks it's uh, going to unfold. Uh, we'd love to hear what y- you think. Uh, uh, just after 9.30 this morning, we'll open up the lines 0800 150 811. Uh, love to hear uh, your take on it. Um, still want to hear uh, three or four days later your feeling about what happened at Lords. Uh, we didn't get a lot of uh, chance to talk to a callers about it, but we'd love to hear that aspect of it. And uh, rugby fans, well, yes, it is the All Blacks this weekend. It is in uh, Mendoza in Argentina. So who are we going to name? Who's Ian Foster going to name? Who would you name? Would you start Stevenson? Would you give him a go at fullback? Uh, you, you, I, look, here's the thing for me. I'm very worried about uh, how long Will Jordan's going to play this game for. That's just me. If he continues to be protected or he continues to have issues, uh, Louis, I might bring you in on this because you're down there in Christchurch. Um, I'm very worried about his future. I would have thought he'd be on this all-black tour if uh, he didn't have any problems at all or recurring problems. So 
can we rely on him to be our definite for 15? Why don't we find out about Sean Stevenson this weekend? Yeah, morning, Smithy. Will Jordan's a really interesting one. Look, reading between the lines, and I don't know this for certain, but I wonder if travel is partly the problem. He's had these issues around his head um, with concussion and these kind of vertigo-y type symptoms where he gets these bad migraines and needs to be in dark rooms and that sort of thing. People have had family members or people have experienced that sort of uh, head pain previously. They know how crippling and debilitating it can be. Um, So flying might be an issue. Would you risk him to take him to Argentina? No. But long term, who knows with Will Jordan? He's such a talent. For me, I can't understand why you would not roll the dice with Sean Stevenson in this test. And that's just me. That doesn't mean I'm saying that they're going to play him because I actually don't think they will because I think there would be a break of logic because they didn't pick him in their squad. But this... I'm looking at this test against Argentina. It's probably the second most inconsequential test this year, barring the one right before the World Cup. The result should not matter to Ian Foster. It might matter to some fans. People might get in a frenzy on Monday if we lose. But if they played Sean Stevenson, he shows some glimpses, they blood him. It's worth the risk for me, Smithy. It's all about the World Cup. Ian Foster answers to no one now, so why not be brave with selections? Look, I, I totally agree, but uh, he wasn't um, that interested in Sean Stevenson initially. He was an add-on. Um, there's no doubt about that. Once Will Jordan pulled out, he was uh, a traveller. So, look, I think they're worried about Jordan. I, I think they are. And I think if they're worried about Jordan, find out now about players rather than later in the year. I totally agree with that. Incidentally, I'll read out uh, my 15. I've had to put Geordie Barrett back in at the second five because, uh, of course, Anton Leonard Brown is under suspension. So... Uh, I overlooked that in my initial uh, thinking, but uh, I've got had to put Geordie Barrett back in there. So I'd go with Stevenson and Mark Talia and, and Moni Narawa. Uh, I think the combination with Stevenson and Narawa was so damn good for the Chiefs, and I love the way uh, Talia has played this year. I, I think it's a really exciting back three. Uh, I'd have uh, Rico uh, at uh, 13 and Geordie Barrett at 12. <coughs> Richie Moonga and Aaron Smith would start for me. Artie Sevilla, Luke Jacobson and Sam Kane would be uh, the loose forwards. Brody Retallick, Scott Barrett. I'd start with Tamaiti Williams, uh, Ethan DeGroote, and Semapeni Tokiaho would be my starting hooker. Cody Taylor on the bench with Tyrell Lomax and Offa Tuangafasi, who can cover both sides of the scrum, of course. I'd throw Josh Lord in there um, because we're just gonna, there's another one we've just got to find out about. Uh, Josh Lord uh, coming off the bench. Shannon Frizzell uh, would be my uh, reserve loose forward as such. Cam Roygaard, got to see him in an all-black jersey sooner rather than later, so... No point playing Finley Christie. We'll know what we'll get out of Finley Christie. Get Cam Roygaard out there and see if he can bust Argentina open. Damien McKenzie has to be in the 23, so uh, he's uh, off the bench for me. And Braden then ought to cover that uh, midfield area where we consistently seem to have injury problems. So that would be mine uh, going into this weekend. Love to hear uh, your thoughts, uh, folks, on uh, 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. You might not have a 15, but you might have uh, individual positions you'd like to see experimented with. Uh, also, love to hear from you on the Ashes. How's test match number three going to go, and what kind of <coughs> is going to hit the fan at Headingley uh, tonight, New Zealand time? 9.30 here. Let's have the news. Talkback time with Smithy. Call now, 0800 
right, Joey's been fielding your calls. And uh, this morning we've got uh, John first up. G'day, John. Morning, morning, Smitty. Hey, um, this, this would be my starting team. I don't think they'll choose it, though. I'd probably mm-hmm. go Williams, the mighty Williams, number one. Uh, Cody Taylor, two. Number three, I'd go... Uh, What's his name from Wellington? Lomax. Uh, Lomax, yep. And then you've got four. Whitelock's not playing, so you'd go four. Um, Barrett, five. You'd probably go Tupo Vai'i, or seeing the fitness of the other locks. Um, six, I'd probably stick with Tyson Frizzell, uh, sorry, from the Highlanders. Um, yep. Seven, you'd go Sam Kane and Captain Adi Savia, eight. Um, nine, Smith. Ten, Moanga. Eleven, Caleb Clark. Controversial, but he'll probably stay on that left wing. Um, you go 12, Barrett again. 13, Yawane. 14, Narawa. Debut. And 15, I'm probably going to go with Barrett at the back there. Could be controversial, but yeah, it's looking like the collectors will go that way. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting one. The One of the names you mentioned there, Caleb Clark. Uh, we've, yep. We haven't, I believe, still seen the best use of Caleb Clark in an all-black jersey. I mean, that is one immense human being whose size mm. is underutilised for me with ball in hand. Oh, definitely, Smithy. Definitely, he's, you know, and he's admitted that he hasn't played well this season. But I think because he's a specialist on that left left flank, he will get the nod. Um, but you know, in saying that, the All Blacks have chucked up curve balls and. Before, um, you've got, I'm, I'm not too sure if Telia is fit enough, but he can play on the left edge as well. Um, and to Mighty Williams, it's a big call. A lot of people are saying uh, the young man from the Highlanders, but I think to Mighty Williams has proven that he is strong enough to start. And what an immense forward pack that would be if you've got him, Taylor, and Lomax, who um all about 120 kegs plus. So we'll be able to front it with the Argies, mate. Don't, don't you worry about that. Well, I hope so, John. Um, really, I mean, uh, you know, it's taken me a while to get into it because uh, it snuck up on me with the ashes, etc. But I am looking forward to uh, to Sunday morning. I'm looking forward to the first outing. Uh, I really am. Thanks for your call. Uh, we'll just see. Uh, we'll compare your side. We'll write it down and compare your side to what uh, Ian Foster does come up with, uh, either uh, later today or tomorrow, our time bearing in mind, a couple of days out from the Test match. Dean from Dunedin, always like to hear your opinions. Dean, what would you do? Oh, mate, my team would be completely different to that, that last guy on the phone. I reckon he's just about nailed it. I'd, I'd put the Groot ahead of Tamati Williams all day, every day for another season or so. But Tamati Williams is going to get a go off the bench. He absolutely has to. But the rest, I think he's nailed it. And when you said there about Caleb Clark, I'm with you. But you're never going to see the best of him when you've got Rico at 13. You just can't distribute the ball. Like that. I don't get it. But my team would be polar opposites but that, that that team that was named there if the TAB were given the odds with the Groot at prop I believe you'll go that way will be pretty close maybe the Chiefs um, he now is it he he might get a, a look but I think Argentina though we've got to be that scared now Smithy that another loss is no good and South Africa they're going to name their top side I believe that they played in the first test last year when they absolutely puzzled us at Mount Smart Stadium, and that'll be the last you'll see of them until the World Cup. They know what they're doing. We've got no... Well, the coach thinks he knows, but he's miles away. The results last year proved he's miles away. So, I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the team being named, but I think 
that last guy with the Groot would be the only change I would make. And good luck to the Chiefs winger. Obviously, Sean Stevenson, for me, would start for every other team in the world except for the All Blacks and um, France. But with Will Jordan not there, he should be just, it should be a lay down Mazir that he starts. I don't know what he's got to do. Like, he's outstanding. Give him a go. What have we got to lose? We're not in the World Cup I, yet. Surely he, we he's can not gonna, have a go. He, he's, he's not going to lose us a test against Argentina, Sean Stevenson. But he might win it for us. He, he might produce some brilliance. But he's, his, you know, his, his play is not going to cost us a test match, Dean. So I'm with you totally. Uh, what have. What have we got to lose in terms of what we want to achieve this season? Sure, we've got a test match to lose, uh, but you know, s- you know, s- so be it. We've lost those, and you know, we know now that uh, we are so close uh, to a number of sides uh, who have either caught us or gone past us. Uh, we've got to find out things. It's not for us to set the bar anymore. It's for us to chase the bar. <clears throat> I think anyway, Dean. Uh, thanks very much. Look forward to uh, hearing from you again shortly. Let's uh, go to uh, Cliff from Dunedin, shall we? Uh, Cliff, good morning to you. Um, I think we. Uh, what do you think about the Ashes? What, what are you forecasting there? Well, I've, I've looked at the squad now. They've picked. They've brought in Wokes. Uh, Ali's back in. But Stokes uh, made a comment that uh, he thought he might. He needs more bowling because he bowled twelve overs in that last innings. And I'm thinking the guy needs to. Uh, I mean, he's he, he, he batted well. But if he's going to be an, uh, an all-rounder in the side, he's got to he's got to be able to bowl more. To me, they're going to go in with too many bowlers and and a very long batting lineup. Uh, they got Wood, Wood Wokes, and Broad would be my three seamers, and then Stokes would have to be number four. But they'll probably end up playing Robinson and playing four seamers plus Sto- uh, Stokes as well as Ali. Too many too many batting. I'd actually bring the keeper in. Instead of Robinson, I'd drop a bowler out, bring in the keeper and, and put Stokes, I mean, um, the keeper that's there now, Bearstow, he would he would bat at uh, five ahead or four, uh, five ahead of um, Stokes. But to me, they've got to be more attacking. They've got to go in with a feeling that we've got to match up. We've got to go in with what, we, what we're best with, and that's Wood, Wood and Wokes. Uh, and then hope the rest of them can do something. But, yeah, I, I've still got my doubts. I don't know what Baz is up to there with his team. I still think he's he's still very defensive, even though his batting is not. You know, guys will go out there and score it, run a ball. But the bowling unit's just not right, and it isn't attacking enough. And then with the All Blacks, Stevenson has to play to me. Caleb Clark, I think he had one... He had a couple of good early test matches a year or so back where he was uh, he got a bit open, play and run hard, but I've got my doubts about him yet, really, as going forward. South Africa are going to be tough in World Cup year. They always seem to pick a better side. They tend to, in the off years, they tend to pick a lot of fringe players, a lot more coloureds, and then their team is not as strong, but in the World Cup, I think they go out there and pick what they've got, and, and if it's you know, it's, it has to be what it is. If they can, and they'll be a tough side to crack this year, as, ma- as many others. What do you think? I, look, I, I totally agree with you. My understanding is they've split their squad uh, to play the first two games. So they've sent an advance party full of high-powered players. Uh, they're going to send them through to, uh, to Auckland to prepare for the test against uh, the All Blacks uh, and uh, play an entirely different unit in their first up outing. 
uh, against Australia. So, look, uh, they thinkers, there's no doubt about that. They, when it comes to World Cups uh, at the moment, they uh, people are surprised about their performance, but they shouldn't be. I, I, I'm totally with you um, on your selections and the philosophy behind your selections in terms of the Ashes. Uh, I don't think Stokes will bowl at all in this test match. Uh, he, he shouldn't have to, put it that way, with the bowling lineup they're going to have. I don't think he wants to bowl. I think he's a reluctant bowler. I think he's finding it just as um, just as hard in terms of uh, being a captain, particularly a captain under pressure. It's a whole new ball game when things aren't going your way. The stress on a captain, particularly in a series of this magnitude, um, he needs to just be thinking about his tactics, and he's got enough bowling. Uh, I like the idea of uh, Bairstow coming up the order to number five because I think you give Johnny Bairstow a challenge and he's he's certainly going to be challenged uh, with what's happened over the last couple of days or last three days, but uh, he, he'll be challenged anyway, but he is at home uh, and there's a good contingent of Yorkshire people in this uh, England side that they're suspecting or uh, well, they're expecting to be named. So uh, that's my thinking on it, Cliff. I, I think it'll be another very even test match. There hasn't been a hell of a lot in either of them. So I, I, I really do believe uh, very, very even but still Australia for me, just a little bit too classy. Uh, right, uh, let's get to uh, Kirk, shall we? Kirk, good morning to you. Yeah, g'day. Yeah, just on the Ashes test, the third, I just say, the, the first day really dictate can dictate how the whole thing goes. If Australia can bat first and get 400 plus, I think they'll do it. But uh, having said that, I've noticed in the last couple of years of test cricket, a big first thing is lead yesterday it's worth its weight in gold and made a 91 run lead and it doesn't always work out the way teams back themselves I know the Basin Reserve we were well behind and we, we came back and won that so it will be really interesting the first sort of two to three days how the, how the test pans out I totally agree Kirk um, and I'll be interested to see the influence of spin in this test match um, oh, look I, I haven't got the facts and figures about uh, who's prospered well in terms of spin or, or finger spin or leg spin uh, but we've only got two finger spinners really operating in this test match. I, I, I don't know if that'll be a big factor or not, but I expect that they'll, they'll go hell for leather after Todd Murphy. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Um, McCullum and Stokes and uh, Co. will have decided he can't settle this kid. They got a really big break with Lyon being ruled out of the series. A really big break. Probably going to be the best bowler in the series. Gone. And now they've got this uh, young kid who's never played in the Ashes before, uh, and I think that'll be an all-out blitzing on him, mate. I really do. Uh, Kirk, thanks very much for your call. Um, like what you're thinking. And I think we will go to a break. And perhaps when we come back, we shall um, perhaps catch up with Zaid. Zaid from Auckland, of course. 9.48, let's uh, get across to Zaid as promised. Morning, mate. Uh, good morning. Um, what, what wing position can Stevenson play? Oh, Zaid play on, on either wing, couldn't he? Could he play right wing? Natural right footer, because what I think they, because I think um, Stevenson, I reckon he's got more of a chance playing wing because he's a lot of injuries. I don't think Mark Talia will play. He's obviously, uh, I don't, I think he's not really that fit. Fainuku's out and more Jordan's out. So either probably uh, maybe Nadawai and Clark, or maybe like Clark and Stevenson, or Nadawai and Stevenson might play. And I think that I've heard some pretty strong rumours that they reckon that Damian McKenzie might get the fullback jersey. Because right, of okay. on Facebook, I've seen a few things uh, about McKenzie, and it looks like definitely, obviously, Mwanga will be starting at um, first five. And apparently, they were saying on the run home yesterday, apparently they're going to send nine players home from Argentina to New Zealand. So that's a bit weird. I don't know why they're doing that. But... um. 
any, any uh, uh, and obviously Rico and um, Jordy will definitely Jordy Barrett will definitely start in the midfield because they're the only really options. Um, it'd be interesting to see if they give maybe Dallas McLeod a spot on the bench. Um, I think Tamasi Williams might get maybe a go, maybe on the bench as well. Um, do you give Roy Gard a chance? Um, maybe on the bench. Do you put um, Sammy Penny Finau on the bench as well, or do you start with um, uh, Sammy Penny Finau, or do you start with um, Shannon Frizzell? Obviously, Adi will start. Um, Kane. I wonder if sometime this year, if you try Kane at six and Dalton at seven, because I know that Kane has played a bit at six um, quite before, if that's ever a go, because I know they are struggling a lot at six to find a good number six. You know, they've struggled for a while now. Right, like, I okay. If that's Some inter- yeah, interesting thoughts yeah. here, Zade, actually. I, I, I wonder about the, the Stevenson thing when he's played his whole season basically at fullback, and that's where he's been absolutely brilliant at fullback. So... It would be a fairly typical uh, all-black thing at times to play people out of positions they haven't been playing in. So um, maybe uh, some interesting things. To, uh, um, certainly I'm a Roy Gard fan. Uh, I know you're a friendly Christie guy's aide, but uh, I would be uh, giving Roy Gard a taste of the action sooner rather than later, and that means this weekend. Hey, Chris from Tauranga. G'day, Chris. Not there. Chris might have gone, is he? Uh, he was there a second or two Sorry, ago. Sorry, you there? You there, Billy? Yeah, got you. you. There, I got you, Chris. Yep, got oh, you. Oh, sorry about that. I, I I want to touch on the actions, but just before I do, I think Dozzy's a pretty good value um, in the rugby playing the B side. They were four twenty yesterday, three eighty. You know, so you know, they could bring an upset over in South Africa. But uh, I, I, look, I, I, I totally totally agree with you. I I think they're a viable option. They really are. Yeah. Hey, on the ashes, I sort of disagree a bit with the previous caller that said he's not being aggressive enough. I think bringing an extra bowler is just what they need. I mean, you've got to take 20 wickets. They have to win three tests. Yep. Can't afford just, uh, you know, rack up big scores and get a draw. So, um, yeah, I think it's aggressive, and I think it's, it's just what they need. They need to bolster the bowling attack. The batting seems to be working if they just, you know, curb their aggression a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I think that's where they need to work, and, and those bowlers that are bought in can all hold the bat. So, yeah, I think it's a good move. Um, go, the, go the English. I hope they win. I agree with your philosophy. They, they, if they don't take 20 wickets, the Ashes are gone. It, it, that is the first priority. They have to bowl Australia out twice and, the, you know, the, hope that the runs will look after themselves. Big gamble batting uh, Harry Brock at three. Hasn't really fired a shot so far at five in the Test Series. Really putting on on him. I'm not so concerned about Johnny Bairstow at five. He's batted all up and down the order with uh, pretty good success. In fact, batting him at seven, I think, is probably um, underrating his ability, and you're not going to get the best out of him at number seven anyway, regardless of uh, any method of dismissal that he he possibly might have. So uh, I totally uh, concur with your thoughts there, Chris. Priority for uh, Brennan McCullum, 20 wickets, and that's how he looks like he's selected a side with that in mind and on the fact that he's uh, said, look, even Jimmy Anderson, no room for sentiment here, fellows. There's no room for sentiment. We've got to be ruthless and keep going forward. 9.53, thanks for your calls this morning. Rightio, let's uh, read some texts out before we get to 10 o'clock. Uh, it always amuses me, says Pete, uh, how you lot go on as if Ian Foster is the sole selector and no one else has any input. Presumably it's a consensus and uh, he has a casting vote if necessary. Obviously, he's the top man and gets the flak, but unless it's changed, there is more than one selector. Yes, you're right. Joe Smith will have some input. 
Jace Ryan certainly have some input, um, and I think that's uh, been pretty widely not, uh, acknowledged. So, yeah, good point, Pete. Um, morning, Ian. Uh, agree wholeheartedly with Sean Stevenson. Must be at fullback and can cover wing if needed. We know Foster is way too conservative in his selection, so who knows? Shannon at six, Artie at eight, and Dalton at seven. Cheers, says uh, Brian. My initial thoughts, uh, unnamed uh, texter says, we start your preferred team and stick with it with the minimal changes so they can gel and form combinations. But after listening to you before, I would now use this first test as an experimental chance to try these new players. Then that's it. Stick to the preferred 15 uh, right through with no major changes. Interesting. Yes, uh, uh, on the, the bit before I said about South Africa, I understand that they're uh, going to send at least 14 players in an advance party to New Zealand to prepare for that one hit at the All Blacks over here at Mount Smart Stadium. Go media, Mount Smart Stadium, that is. Right, to after 10 o'clock, we're going to focus on the United States Women's Golf Open because we have two contestants in Lydia Ko and Amelia Garvey. Who are the best chances and what will they do to Pebble Beach? Will they knock it apart or will it be too tough for them? Grant Boone's going to tell us more. He's a world-renowned golf commentator. Had him on the show before. He's been looking at all these options. Coming up to 10 now. 10.03 here, New Zealand time, and a slice of history is written into the books when the US Women's Golf Open gets underway overnight at Pebble Beach. It will be the first time this iconic venue has hosted this women's event. It's uh, known by every golf fan as a bucket list course. I mean, everyone just wants to have a crack at its unforgiving nature. Um, it's been uh, punishing over the years, uh, except for once when a fellow by the name of Tiger dismantled the field by 15 shots all those years ago. Tonight, though, we have New Zealand interests to get behind. Lydia Coe says her game is closer than it has been and she's ready to turn the tables on a major that hasn't uh, been all that successful for her in the past. And youngster Amelia Garvey out of uh, Canterbury has such a passion for life and her budding career on the Epson Tour gets another chance in the US Open, but this time as a pro with the skill set she believes is required. Now Grant Boone has been on the show before. We're so grateful that he's made himself available to us again. He will have uh, the best seat in the house as one of the best and uh, world-renowned uh, commentators of women's golf on the planet. Grant, uh, good morning to you, New Zealand time. Good afternoon uh, to you in uh, America. Uh, Pebble Beach, eh? And the women uh, get a crack. First time since, uh, I think, 1946 when it was uh, played initially that the women's golf gets a chance at Pebble Beach. How special? Smithy, how great to visit with you, uh, as always. And it is. This is... Uh this is something very different. Um, it, it's hard to believe in some ways that, that the Women's Open has never been played at Pebble Beach. Uh, there is a great history of women's golf at Pebble Beach. There's uh, a tournament 100 years ago that uh, was contested, and uh, a Golf Hall of Fame member named Marion Hollins, who was one of the very first uh, women to get into golf course development. She won the tournament. She was a great player. So there is a history, but not on a championship uh, of this level has it ever been played. And uh, I'm out here on the 17th tee box as we speak, not to make you too jealous, Smithy, uh, mm. but uh, it, it is it is absolutely spectacular. I'm looking out at uh, Carmel Bay, and uh, it, it's it's the excitement is at a fever pitch, uh, and and I think everyone just can't wait. To see what happens, Grant. It is uh, 
one of the courses that a lot of us um, will recognise. Uh, those of us that watch a lot of PGA events, uh, of course, they have uh, the Pro-Am. And, of course, that's uh, always a big step on the, on the calendar, golfing calendar for men. But um, I, I just wonder, uh, how have they set it up for the women? Because we know how tough it can be for the men. What about the differences for this, this particular championship? They uh, very specifically made clear to us in our production meetings this week that they want this test to be very much like it was in 2019 when the U.S. Men's Open was last played here. Um, the rough is thick. I'm walking around in some of the rough left of the green at the third hole, which is uh, this lovely little nexus here with the 17th tee and the fourth tee uh, and, uh, and the 16th green. Um, and the, the rough is thick. It's, it's juicy. It's lush. There's been a lot of rain uh, here uh, in the spring and summer. Uh, the, the, you're going to love looking at the pictures on television. Uh, it's, uh, it's in great shape. There is one, one slight difference. I mean, this is we're really getting nitpicky here. But uh, if people uh, go back and Google uh, the, the 2000 U.S. Open that you referenced, Tiger Woods winning by, by 15, he hit a shot on the sixth hole, the uphill par five, from the rough. And one of the NBC commentators, after Tiger gouged it out of the rough onto the green to, have a, to give himself a putt for eagle, the NBC commentator, Roger Maltby, said, guys, this is just not a fair fight. And, and it was a, a great line to really describe how dominant Tiger was that, that week. That rough was taken away right at the fairway at six for the men's open in 2019. And their idea, Smithy, was they wanted balls that went to the right of the fairway to roll all the way into the water at Stillwater Cove right there off the cliff. The rough would actually keep the ball from rolling into that penalty area, into the water. Well, they brought the rough back to the right of the sixth fairway this year but again that's fairly nitpicky uh generally speaking with the exception of an overall shorter yardage as you always would see in women's golf uh, the 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 look is going to be very very similar it's uh it's going to give these women a chance to show off i think this week and and i think they will Rightio, speaking of showing off um, unintentionally, tell us a wee bit about this uh, new sensation, Rose Zhang. Um, she is uh, the favoured uh, in our book over here and with a lot of pundits yes. to take out this tournament. Out of nowhere, this young lady. Well, she, she's, uh, she, she's only... She's not out of nowhere in terms of what she's accomplished as an amateur, but she's just turned professional. So mm. Rose whose parents are from China, uh, was born and raised in Southern California in the Los Angeles area. She was uh, uh, an exceptional amateur player and kept rising in the ranks. She won the U.S. Women's Amateur, and then she won the U.S. Girls Junior, which had never been done before. Usually you would win that in the reverse order, but that's how young she was when she won the U.S. Amateur. Then she won... uh, the NCAA championship at Stanford University. And then this spring, she won the Augusta National Women's Amateur, uh, took a five-shot lead into the final round, and uh, struggled 
on that Saturday, the final round, but one in the playoff. And so she then finished her college career at Stanford, won the, her second consecutive NCAA college championship. Uh, and that had never been done before. No one had ever won two national championships as a collegiate player. She did that. Then she turned pro the next week and won her very first event. And I happened to have the pleasure of being on the call for that event. And she beat Jennifer Cupcho, who is a major champion, uh, beat her in a playoff. And, Smithy, we're talking about something that hadn't been done in 70 years, a player to win their first event as a professional. It just doesn't happen. Um, winning is mm. so hard. And yet she's, she has made winning look easy. And here she is on a golf course, Pebble Beach, where last September in a college tournament, they did play shorter than they're going to play this week. So you can, you can factor that in. She shot 63 to set the competitive course record, and she went on the women's, women's record, and she went on to win that tournament. So she's won on this course. She's, she's won her first event as a professional. She finished eighth in her first major championship as a professional two weeks ago at famed Baltus Roll in New Jersey uh, for the KPMG Women's PGA Championship. Uh, I mean, first and eighth in two starts as a pro, that's how you become the betting favorite. Staggering, absolutely staggering uh, emergence. Uh, after that glittering uh, amateur, amateur career, as you pointed out. Uh, there's a couple of co's we're interested in. Of course, uh, Jin Yanko, who is second favourite uh, as such as we look at it, but vastly more experienced in these situations. And, of course, our Lydia, whose form of late, in fact, has formed this calendar year, has been very much below par. Well, Lydia was my pick to win at Pebble Beach at the start of the year. I thought... Uh, it was perfect for her because she has this exquisite short game, and uh, you're gonna. No one is going to hit every green out here. I don't know. Uh, there was this amazing statistic when the young player from China won the women's PGA Championship two weeks ago. Roning Yen is her name. She hit every green in regulation the last two days. She had 36 putts for birdie or eagle uh, on those last two days. The greens at Baltus Roll were huge. You could put probably three greens at Pebble Beach onto one at Baltus Roll. Um, no one's going to hit every green. So Lydia, with her exquisite short game, I thought would be perfect. She hasn't played well on the LPGA Tour. She's played brilliantly on the Ladies European Tour. But those are usually three-round events. Sometimes they're four. She, did, she won a huge event in Saudi Arabia, as you know. Uh, and she beat a very, very good field that week. So... The thing about Lydia, Smithy, that I think is interesting, just got married, of course, in December of last year. And whenever you go through a life change like that, you probably have to figure out, you know, how am I going to set my schedule now? Uh, will I play a little more, play a little less, start my year a little bit later? Well, her husband is here. June is, is here this week with her, uh, coming back and forth from Northern California, where he lives. And... Um, she hasn't played a lot in a row. And so people say, well, what does that matter? But I, I, think, I think for Lydia, when she, played, uh, when she played the Women's PGA Championship, it was the first time 
that she had played back-to-back weeks since early in the year. And I think when you play back-to-back weeks, it just gets you into a little bit more of a rhythm. I would not be surprised at all if Lydia plays very well this week. She did not really factor at the Women's PGA Championship, but I do believe she, and you, you referenced it earlier, she does think that she's hitting the ball better than she is scoring. You know, people say, what's the difference? But sometimes you can be hitting the ball okay, but you're just not making those key putts to, to put a low score down. Um, would not be surprised at all to see Lydia play well this week. You just feel like we're going to get something special this week. You, you, you want to see something special, and Lydia would be special, wouldn't she? Well, it would be very special over here. I can promise you that. Uh, Jin Young-Ko, um, Ataya Thitikul, and Leona Maguire are mm-hmm. the next. Um, and, and then, of course, you <clears throat> move into uh, a bracket of players who have not quite uh, cracked the US Open yet, including your very own Lexi Thompson, who is uh, playing, I think, in her 17th US Open, and she's just still 28 years of age. Incredible. She was 12 years old when she qualified in 2007 for her first U.S. Open. At the time, she was the youngest. Uh, but um, Lexi has had so many good chances to win. Two years ago here in the state of California, she had a five-shot lead with eight holes to play. Um, struggled down the stretch at the Olympic Club and uh, was, was unable to win. Uh, she is, um, she is not all, she's also not playing, uh, her best right now, but, uh, Lydia is also, I mean, I'm sorry, Lexi is one of those players. I would put Lydia in this category as well. By the way, Lydia is walking up the third fairway. I mean, you couldn't have planned this any better, Smithy, but here, here comes Lydia (laughs) making her way to the third green. Um, I, I would say that is the kind of thing, uh, Lexi and Lydia, they don't necessarily have to be in great form. Something about the big events brings out their best. Not every time, but it, don't be surprised if Lexi and Lydia both factor this week. Uh, you are talking about exactly where you are geographically on the course. Uh, just, just talk of one of the most famed, uh, famous tee shots in golf is the 18th. Tell us about standing there, looking at uh, the troubles on the left, um, particularly with a, a view to mind, uh, last round, uh, one shot lead, etc. Going down that hole in that tee shot, which we know that that particular tee is probably one of the most famous and most viewed in the world. Well, it, it, it's it's probably the 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 tee box where more pictures are taken than any other in all of golf. Um, it, it's where Jack Nicklaus famously sat on the railing as he was. Uh, Lydia is waving at me with her coach, Ted O, uh, and her caddy, Davy Jones. Um, but, uh, yes, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's one, of the great tea, one of the great places in all of golf. Uh, but then you have to hit the actual tee shot, which is, not, as you say, not easy. You've got the ocean to the left. You have uh, out of bounds if you go way right because you're scared of the water. And then if you hit it right down the middle, you're going to be right behind a giant cypress tree if you uh, are not far enough down. So it is a, uh, it, it, it's a beautiful place to be, but, but at some point you actually have to hit the tee shot. You can't stand there forever. Uh, and, and it's, um, it, it's uh, I, I was just there a moment ago, as a matter of fact, and it's, mm-hmm. it's the kind of place you can stay all day and never get tired of the view. 
No, it's absolutely fascinating. Uh, Grant, as always, just wonderful to catch up with you. We'll get you, uh, get you back to your reconnaissance that uh, you're obviously doing. Please pass on uh, our very best from uh, our station here and from uh, New Zealand, in fact, to Lydia as she goes by, uh, because as always, we are seriously behind what she does. And our young Amelia Garvey as well, starting in her third US yes, Open. Yes, Amelia Grant, from, 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 from yeah, yeah. yeah, Amelia's here, yeah. Yeah, absolutely look forward to her uh, display as well. But, uh, hey, Grant, absolute honour to catch up with you, particularly as you are right there on the spot, literally, as we speak. Uh, enjoy the call, and we'll enjoy uh, watching your work. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Smithy. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Grant Boone there. <laughs> How cool. Uh, right in the middle of Pebble Beach, and there goes Lydia just walking her past with her coach and um, her... Um, her, her caddy as well, just uh, playing um, uh, two or three holes, I imagined, or maybe a whole round just to get ready uh, and get her th- herself in sync. Couldn't have timed that much better, Louis. <laughs> that's pretty cool. I, I hope that that was an omen. Uh, Grant, he's done it for a long period of time. He's got a good, good relationship with everyone on tour. and Yeah, I... I We've actually got a little bit of audio, Smithy, that we should hear because I listened to Lydia Coe's press conference and she sounds confident. Like, she might not necessarily be putting up the results, but you hear Grant explain it, that maybe she hasn't play, played as much golf this year as she has uh, previously. But she thinks she's hitting it well and she does have the skill set to get around a tricky course like Pebble. So I'm curious to hear what she's got to say. You know that the golf course is just going to keep playing tougher and tougher with everything you know, with all the pressure that builds up throughout the week as well. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a tough week. Um, but I tried to watch the some of the coverage of the 2019 uh, Men's Open and um, tried to see how the guys play it uh, and um, try and get some pointers from there. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's just really cool that I... I'm going to be part of those kind of highlights as well um, this week, and um, I'm excited to, to play and get it started. Well, she's playing in a, an interesting pairing, um, and I love the way they call them pairings because there's actually three people uh, in the group. <laughs> uh, but she's, she's playing with Rose Zhang, who we just talked about. She is actually playing in the same group as Rose Zhang, this young sensation. Um, and, of course, Lydia has always been, up until now, where she's yeah. regarded, I guess, as almost middle-aged. She's been around that long. Uh, here's this <laughs> Rose Zang doing exactly what Lydia did. Uh, and Brooke Henderson. Uh, Brooke Henderson, of course, is a um, ultra-successful uh, Canadian who's got her sister on the bag. Very uh, recognisable duo they are. So, yeah, uh, that's a, it's a high-profile pairing and one you would imagine we should be getting a lot of coverage on television particularly in uh, round number one, where she tees off at a very good time for us. Uh, also uh, of interest, uh, Annika Sorenstam is a three-time champion. She's playing. She's the oldest in the field at the age of 52. Remember Michelle Wee? Um, she uh, is back playing. Michelle Wee West is her name these, these days, uh, and pairing with In Ji Chun. And Amy Olsen. Now, here's an interesting one. Amy Olsen. Talk about women can do anything. Amy Olsen mm. is playing in this tournament. She's seven months pregnant. Seven months pregnant. So that is absolutely staggering, isn't it? Uh, defending champion, Minji Lee. Minji Lee, Australian, whose uh, brother, Minwoo Lee, uh, plays very successfully on the PGA Tour. So it's an immense amount of interest. Immense amount of interest. Uh, Angela Zhang is, uh, play, uh, is playing in this tournament. Not Rose Zhang, but Angela Zhang. And Angela turns 14 tomorrow on the first day of the tournament. God, it's just staggering. Honestly, 
some of the stats you can get out of golf. It is 10.21 here on SENZ. Eagle eyes on that to, over the next three or four days, I promise you that. Um, but when we come back, uh, we shall um, have a, uh, perhaps a multi for you. We might just uh, give you a multi, but certainly a pacing for purpose horse as well. It's Harness Racing New Zealand, Pacing for Purpose, Season 2. Live the dream. Get involved in the harness racing industry today. Visit uh, hrnz.co.nz. Pacing for Purpose, of course, means our profits go to a charity of our choice. Ours is uh, Women's Refuge, and at the moment we're doing pretty nicely, actually. Uh, Tomorrow night we go to Addington, race three. It is uh, number seven, Winberg Watch. Has a devastating sprint when saved for one run, and that is likely here. Biggest danger, number nine, Alatine, uh, to that performance. Uh, but yes, we have got Winberg Watch. It is uh, being driven by Ricky May. Ricky May, little Ricky May, and uh, trained by Brendan Hill. So that is our pacing for purpose horse. Uh, let's just uh, take a little look at uh, some of the texts that have come in. Mark's come in and said, hey, uh, I just put a tenner on Lydia at 41s. $41. Lydia Co. in a golf tournament? Is she that badly out of form? I mean, talk about someone who's pretty good at the big occasion. Ah, she'll be ultra prepared for this. Maybe her confidence might be at uh, a slight low ebb. But 41s for Lydia Co. Who said that? Ah, very, very interesting. Uh, Ken has come in and said, no, I like the, the look of this team, Ken. Bowden, uh, Barrett, uh, Stevenson on the wing, uh, then Enor and uh, Geordie Barrett in the centres with uh, Narewa, Amoni Narewa on the wing, uh, Mackenzie and uh, Christie, uh, Jacobson, Kane, Frizzell, Dupuvai, uh, Scott Barrett, Lolala, Coles and Offa to Ungafasi. I mean, there's so many different combinations coming in here. It's like when you pick an all-black team, you're always looking at one or two positions of contention. Uh, look, we've got so much variation in the teams coming in here. Um, Jared says, look, totally agree with selecting Stevenson first up. A perfect opportunity to show what he's made of ahead of a World Cup. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and there'll be no, no one will blame him for starting. Uh, there's no risk in starting him in that respect. He's been the player, one of the players of Super Rugby. Uh, everyone agrees with his selection. Some were most surprised that he was in, in the initial uh, thinking. Why not? You're not going to lose anything and you won't lose any friends by giving him a go. Uh, Chris has said, uh, uh, Aussie were paying four twenty yesterday. Yes, $4.20, now three eighty to beat South Africa. Um, the B side's still pretty good, uh, the money says uh, Chris, so keep an eye on that one. Uh, and uh, just going into the news, uh, here's Brad's team um, to uh, play against Australia. Um, I would have dropped Crawley, he said, instead of, uh, and, and Pope's out with injury, Ollie Pope, so uh, he is uh, out for the series, so uh, this team won't come to fruition. But Duckett and Bearstow, you like at the top, so you left out Crawley. Uh, take Brooke out and add Folks. So uh, that would have been an interesting team down on batting strength somewhat, I think it's fair to say. Duckett, Bearstow, Pope, Root, Stokes, Folks, uh, Ali, Wokes, Robinson, Broad, and Wood. I uh, don't mind the bowling combinations there at all. Uh, I think that's probably pretty close to what they will go with. Uh, but, yeah, the batting side of it, mm, sacrificing a wee, a wee bit there, Brad. It is 10.30. We'll be back very shortly talking to Louis about uh, some racing happening uh, today in particular uh, and not too far from where he sits as we speak, Ashburton. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz.
racing's biggest fan. Yes, indeed, they are racing uh, at Ashburton today. There are 10 races, uh, and the first is uh, not too far away at 11.15. And I've got a winner for you in the first, Smithy. Theoretically, this is a weight special. Sea Shepherd, this is an interesting. You don't get too many of these races over the mile. You've got a race for three-year-olds and four-year-olds at set weights. Sea Shepherd's recently come up from Sabin Kirkland's barn to uh, the Pitmans and races in the same colours. I thought it was a good bet at Rickerton last start where it was racing in an open handicap. It started at $3.50 in an open handicap. Right now you're getting $2.80 where it's weighted respectfully against uh, other horses, its rating is 83. The next highest race in the uh, rating horse in the race is at 67, and they have to share the same weight. So Corey Campbell sticks. Theoretically, this is a weight special. The reason I, I'm not declaring it as immoral is because there's horses like Sassy Shoes in this race, Classic Diva, it's Balsanto, uh, who are all pretty above average horses, I think, for this part of the world. So it's a nice race, but you still have to have a bet if you're me and you're looking at this and you've got Sea Shepherd, who's just come out of completely different class at the same weights as these other horses. So I'll take the $2.20 around Sea Shepherd, betting uh, responsibly. And I actually love today at Ashburton. It's a really nice day. There's a rating 85 on, and Athene comes out of another open handicap race at Rickerton on the same day. Um, and to be honest, oh, it might have even been the same race, actually. It could be the Amberley Cup, I'm thinking of. Yep, Athene, there you go. It should have beaten Zelensky that day. Went down half a length. Zelensky was very, very tough. The only issue with Athene today in race six is it's never scored a result on the track out of a lot of goes. But it's racing in such good form. And I asked Matt Cross what he thought. Well, he's made Athene his best bet of the day, and he's calling the racing. So he's crunched the form. He's got Athene on top. So do I. Race seven... I don't mind Robbie uh, race eight. Sorry, I don't mind Robbie Burns at an each way price from Barrier One. Finally, gets a draw fourth up today. Um, has had success on the track and, and likes it heavy. So race eight, Robbie Burns, and one last one just for good measure. I don't usually tip four horses in one day, but I quite like it today. There's a horse called Louis Louis or Louis Loire Louis Louis Loire something like that. It's just spelt Louie Louie. Well, today it's 4.50 into 3.50, and it's won three of its six times on the track, three of it 11 times on heavy tracks, loves the distance, gets a claimer, Lemmy Douglas on, race seven, Louis Loire. So, Sea Shepherd in race one, Athene in race six, Louis Loire race seven, and Robbie Burns race eight. That's my little package. Good on you. Uh, good on you. Thank you so much uh, for that, Louis. Uh, people follow you religiously, so uh, let's hope that uh, everyone is successful. We'll be back very shortly uh, with The Bulletin with Jamie Wall. The Bulletin. The Bulletin this morning is uh, with Jamie Wall, a renowned uh, rugby writer um, and uh, pundit in this country. And uh, Jamie, welcome on in. Uh, All Blacks team naming, what are you, uh, we looking at here? Experience or experiment? Yeah, morning, Smithy. Uh, good question, really, because I I think they could go really either way on this. There's a lot of guys uh, in that mix, and you you were talking about it um, uh, in the last half hour, just about how um, there's so many combinations available to the All Blacks at the moment. Uh, but to be honest, I, I feel like they're probably going to go with a more 
conservative option because to get off uh, the season just to a winning start is, is probably the most important thing here because if they go over there, lose this game to uh, to this Argentinian team, which, let's face it, is fully capable of, of beating the All Blacks, then it's going to revert the whole narrative around this team uh, back to what it was about a year ago, which is who should be coaching it. Uh, and I don't think they can really afford um, to do that. So I think we're going to see maybe a little bit of experimentation in there, but not, a, not an awful lot. Okay, let's uh, look at uh, some of the areas of speculation, shall we see? And they begin right at the back um, with Will Jordan not there. Um, mm. Sean Stevenson gets elevated to a possibility, but you're probably suspecting no here? Well, I'd say no because I think I, think I heard Louis talking about it earlier because it wouldn't make any sense uh, from, from their point of view if they did start Stevenson. Um, he's there literally as a cover player. Uh, where, where, which is why he got included in the squad in the first place. For, so for them to then elevate him into the playing squad would go back on the on the whole point of why they picked this team in in the first place. Uh, I think that what we're probably going to see is Bowden Barrett uh, at fullback uh, again, um, or, or Damian McKenzie. I mean that that's the reason why Stevenson uh, was left out in the first place. You would think so. I feel like it's going to be either one of those two at, at fullback. But to me, I mean, if I, if I was picking the team, Stevenson would probably be the first guy I'd pick. Uh, you, you, you mentioned before about how um, it's a perfect place for him to prove that he belongs at this level. We've just had 16 weeks of him proving that he belongs at this level. He's, he, he was the best player in Super Rugby, so I don't really know how much more he can do. Um, so I, 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 I'm still baffled by the whole way that, that this is going going around. If he does end up playing, I could totally see him scoring three tries and then end up being a fixture in the team uh, for the rest of the year because that is the way that this, the selection around some of these um, areas has worked in the last couple of years. If you look with the amount of talk that was around Geordie Barrett shifting into the midfield and then he finally got a crack uh, because of injury uh, to Quintu Pyre last year and then he's been there ever since and he'd be one of the first names he put down on the team sheet as well. So that's the way things have been happening. So I, I, I don't think it would be too much of a stretch to see Stevenson in that, in that position as well. Rightio, OK. Um, and in the midfield, what are we thinking in the midfield? Rico plus? Well, I, I, like I said, Geordie, Geordie and Rico would be my uh, number one combination at the moment, the way, things, the way things stand. But, I mean, there's a lot of other options there as well. I mean, you've got even, like, Dallas McLeod's an option. Um, in the midfield, so but at the moment I think I think Geordie's done enough, and I think they're also given that it's World Cup here and that Geordie is the long-range kicking option as well. Uh, that makes his value a lot greater being on being on the field, the ability to kick goals from his own half. So that's why he, he's in there for me. And, and Rico, I think uh, the back end, obviously the Blues had a really disappointing end um, to the season, but I definitely saw enough out of Rico to to see that he with Anton Leonard Brown not being there, being suspended, that he deserves that, that starting spot uh, in the midfield. Rightio. OK, um, before that, of course, the All Blacks 15 uh, take on uh, Japan. Any standout candidates here who we should be looking at who could force their way in for later in the year? Uh, it's an interesting one because the most talked about thing about the All Blacks 15 is the guys who aren't in it. I mean, I was engaged in a pretty decent conversation 
the other day about Tom Christie and, and how he, he's been left out altogether. Um, I, I, I think that any number, of loose, any number of those loose forwards are in the mix. Um, you know, guys like Billy Harmon, even Peter Gustavokula, like, you know, the, he's only an injury away from being moved back into the All Blacks, which again is, is crazy, really, when you think about what happened um, last year. But the fact that he's back in the All Blacks 15 itself shows that he's kind of part of the plan here at the moment. Just speaking of loose forwards, so back to the All Blacks, so I reckon this weekend would be a perfect time to put Sammy Penny Finau uh, and, and give him a, some decent minutes at the, uh, at the start because really they're going to be rotating their loose forwards over the next um, uh, few games and I feel like this would probably be, probably be the only time where they could really give him a decent shot, maybe even start him um, in that mm. number six jersey because he has been outstanding. The women, of course, um, absolutely demolished Australia last week. They made uh, a real... Well, I won't say it gets of them, but they, they treated them with disdain, really, with that scoreline. Uh, but what about this little venture to uh, North America, starting with Canada? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that, once again, it's highlighted the big kind of plot hole uh, when everyone's talking about how women's rugby's treated in this part of the world and New Zealand rugby's failings in that area, is that, really, New Zealand rugby has no control over the way other countries run women's rugby as well. And until uh, Rugby Australia can get a viable product out of the Wallaroos, this is always going to happen. You mentioned like, how bad the scoreline was. It's not going to get any better until that competition, that player base over there, uh, becomes f- bigger and more sustainable and, more, and therefore more competitive. It's the same story with the US and Canada up there. I think Canada will put up a better, better fight. Um, this game, they just seem to be better players, and from what we saw from their showing at the World Cup last year, that they'll they'll be more of a challenge. But the US don't seem to have uh, don't seem to be any better than Australia either. So, I mean, the one good thing is that it's, it gives us a clear run into this World 15 competition uh, at the end of the year in November, which is going to be held here in in New Zealand, where in which we'll get England back down here, and then it'll give the Black Ferns uh, a very meaningful game that everyone can look forward to and hopefully draw a big crowd like they did last year at the World Cup. Yeah, it's an interesting one for me when you, you look at the development of women's rugby in Australia because uh, they have a very viable competitor in uh, the women's NRL, uh, which is attracting players from this side of the Tasman. You, you wonder what kind of future women's rugby has when they've got a professional competition like that uh, and, and athletes who are capable of playing both. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can look at it at one of one of two ways that they're both competing against each other, or the other way that they can complement one another. And that that if you have at least one proper professional competition in the NRLW that a lot of these players are striving for, that you know you're not going to have as many players making it as as spots are available. And so a lot of them will drift off and perhaps play rugby union, play play, play sevens. So. I think on the whole it's a good thing and also just from the from a New Zealand perspective as well it it gives all of those players we've seen it we're seeing a lot of players sign over there to play in the NRLW it gives them an extra 3 4 months of being a professional footballer uh in in the, in the year I don't think New Zealand rugby are too uh disheartened by by this because they're going to come back and play super rugby the NRLW is not a year long competition they're only contracted for sort of 4 year four months at a time, and they can they can potentially do both. 
Uh, and so for someone else to be paying them, um, training them, uh, making them better athletes, I don't think NZ Rugby are particularly worried about that, not at this stage anyway. Okay, right. Um, speaking of uh, the NRL um, as opposed to the women's NRL, uh, a players' media boycott. What does this mean and um, is it an issue? Uh, I hope not, because um, I'm going to be out of work <laughs> if um, this, this does <laughs> actually, if they do what, they, what they're going to be doing. Um, we were at the Warriors yesterday, and it uh, looks like we just made it in before the cutoff happened. Um, I, I think it has to be noted that this was bandied about earlier this year. It was, it was before the season started, around about the, um, the uh, All-Stars game that happened in Rotorua. And it was very confusing as to what they were and weren't allowed to do. This seems like they're trying to have six or one and a half a dozen or another as well by saying that they can talk to media on Mondays and Tuesdays, but not on game days. Um, I, I think it's just a, a bit of a uh, nuclear option by the RLPA uh, in the lead up to Origin, because obviously there's going to be, you know, Origin is the biggest event in, in the calendar uh, for the NRL. Um, and so for media to be shut out of that would be quite a big deal. I'm hoping it doesn't uh, actually get to the point where we're not going to uh, see any um, rugby league uh, getting uh, uh, in, the, in the media. Uh, however, I, I mean, I, I wasn't even aware that the CBA thing was still going on, so hopefully they can get it sorted because uh, it, it, one of the big things about... Uh, the NRL is the player access that you get. Um, the Warriors are pretty good. You know, you get you get the captain, the coach at press conferences afterwards in pretty prompt time, and then you can go over to a mix zone and pretty much grab any player you like. So I think that uh, if they were to withhold that um, and go down the road of what you get with the All Blacks or with Super Rugby, it's gonna they're gonna be causing some real issues uh, in the way that their relationships are with the media and. You, you can see just how strong that's been, the narrative of, of how important the NRL is to people, how well the Warriors are doing, um, because I think the Warriors will suffer quite quite a great deal as well if this is enforced. Uh, I totally agree. Uh, and we are, you know, we've got a very close relationship with them ourselves. Uh, and, of course, uh, when it comes to game day, they're talking to a lot of their heroes, uh, the Johnses and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, those, those kind of people who are actually interviewing them. So that'll be interesting to see how that, that plays out uh, um, <clears throat> politically in, in particular. Jamie, uh, thank you very much uh, for your, um, your summation of uh, what's coming up this weekend. Really look forward to that all-black naming. Have a terrific weekend, man. Thank you. No worries, Smithy. Have a good weekend, man. Yeah, cheers. Uh, 10.52 here on SCNZ. Come back, we'll have a multi and a few texts to read out. you got to know when the whole Smithy's multi. No when to walk away and no when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Rightio, let's uh, get stuck into it for today. Uh, Cronulla they are playing West Tigers tonight. West Tigers, what a flogging they got last week. I don't think it's going to improve, to be perfectly honest. That's why I've taken Cronulla minus 23.5 handicap. I think they'll beat them by 24 plus at $1.90. Australian women are playing the English women tonight in a T20 uh, match, and I think uh, they will win. Um, the Aussies at $1.43. Got a sneaking suspicion that might be the Oval, actually. What a iconic ground that is, too. And uh, Argentinian football, Boca Juniors, to beat Union Santa Fe today at $2.40.
Boca Juniors, former club of Maradona. Maradona was out of Boca Juniors. $2.40. And uh, so Cronulla minus 23.5. Australian women into Boca Juniors. And that Maldi's up at $6.52. More texts uh, have come in. Morning, Smithy. Love the ashes. A bit of free-to-air on Duke. Then listening to SENZ while tucked up. England have won the toss twice and lost both tests. Heaven forbid if Pat wins the toss tonight. With England's geriatric bowling attack and their very low IQ style cricket, I can't see them getting back in here. By the way, is Johnny B the full quid? Johnny Bairstow, he's different. I think it's fair to say Johnny Bairstow is slightly different. Gets uh, into a little shell every now and then, and I think we saw the evidence of that, uh, where everything else that's going on around him he is oblivious to, and that's why he made the mistake he made the other day. Uh, seems a very eccentric guy to me. Eccentric? Mm, don't know if eccentric, but could be heading that direction. Australia 5-zip. Patrick, uh, you know your cricket, and you know your cricketers. So thanks very much for your text. Uh, Dino says any other coach would start Stevenson. Start looking at other teams' examples. South Africa are ready. They know their top side. It dealt to us in the first test last year. When they play us next week, their side will roll out, re- re- roll out only for a run before the World Cup, unlike us. They are ready. We are light years apart. Okay, right. Uh, speaking of battles, there's uh, a little matter of UFC this weekend involving some Kiwis and some high-profile fights. We're going to go to Vegas next to talk to Lightning Mike Ango about UFC 290 and the prospects for those fights. It is uh, coming up to 11 o'clock. Yes, uh, UFC uh, 290 coming up this weekend, highlighted by a big uh, bout between uh, Volkanovski and Rodriguez, but there are Kiwis on the card as well, so hoping to get through to Mike Angove, who was on the ground over there in Las Vegas as part of uh, the preparation for uh, our fighters here, Hooker vs Turner. It's 11 against 12. Um, <clears throat> there's uh, also some other very interesting uh, fair, I think it's fair to say, um, but we'll just uh, get uh, into the text as well, uh, as well while we're waiting, uh, hopefully to get through to uh, Mike. Wokes and Wood will definitely bring uh, something different, and they look balanced. Uh, imagine if Ali and Wokes walk in at number eight. Uh, last test, I think England would have won. Yeah, I, I think you're right. They sold themselves a bit short. It's a very good observation, actually, with Stuart Broad. Uh, not very often uh, when you've got a guy like um, Stokes going that you have to protect your number eight. He did it really effectively and then put on over 100 runs. Um, but Broad hardly faced the delivery in that. And that's the way uh, Stokes wanted to manufacture it. But he shouldn't have had to. He should have been able to get run value. Uh, he should have been able to trust his number eight batsman. And nowhere else in the world you wouldn't trust number eight to do a job for you. Uh, so they sell themselves short there. This time around they'll have uh, Ali and uh, Wokes is a very good uh, batsman, by the way, a very good all-rounder. Um, I think he's probably as good a batter as, as he is a bowler, to be fair, Chris Wokes. Uh, Moan Ali is undoubted uh, as a, a batsman, but hasn't played a lot of test cricket for a long period of time. But they do look stronger, and I like the balance of their bowling attack that they're going in with. And I think it's a fair call, a tough call on Jimmy Anderson, but a fair call. He acknowledged the fact that he's uh, got wickets at an average of 75 in the first two test matches. That this is, It's not going to cut it. It simply isn't going to cut it. So... Broad, I think it's fair to say, is the spearhead. Wood uh, will provide bounce and pace and aggression over short spells. Uh, and then you look at uh, Robinson, Ollie Robinson, who seems to be one of their go-to guys. Wokes, uh, very handy with new ball or older ball. And then you've got uh, Moen Ali, which means 
Stokes uh, probably won't have to bowl at all and uh, I think he's intimated that in some of the interviews that he'd just like to focus on the batting aspect of that and he'll come in uh, again at number six. So I, I quite like the balance of it. A real, um, for me, a real uh, gamble with Harry Brook at three. Uh, I think that um, they could be two for spit very, very quickly uh, if they don't get it right. And if they do get it right, uh, they'll be 100 for none or one very, very quickly. Uh, that would be the ultimate. Would they bat or bowl? Don't know. What would you do? I uh, haven't been there. Um, but up we spoke to this morning, said uh, he think it'll, thinks it'll perhaps favour the seamers on day one. Well, test pitchers uh, traditionally do that anyway. So some uh, interesting observations there. Uh, great show, says Jamie, right from the outset. This is a very early text we got, actually. Uh, great show, Smithy. I re- reckon it's strange how Ben Stokes and England are all of a sudden worried about winning the right way in the spirit of cricket. When in the World Cup final in 19, they told us, bad luck, suck it up. That's the rules. <laughs> yeah, and, and there was also there was also some very, very interesting uh, incidents in that match, wasn't there? I, I looked back on it the other day. Um, it was, I think, on uh, YouTube, and they were playing it for some reason. And uh, it was things didn't conspire our way. There's a number of things that didn't happen in our favour there, but some brilliant cricket play there, some wonderful skills under pressure. I um, mean, Trent Bolt's ability to bowl at the death there, and then of course, um, field balls from the outfield and run people out at the bowlers end barehanded. I thought that was outstanding what he did there. Uh, that was a great cricket under pressure. We had, and then, of course, you have Trent Bolt, who was uh, a noted outfielder himself, uh, and just walking back onto the ropes when he probably had a little bit more room to secure the catch. And then there was the ball off the bat, and and uh, you cannot blame Ben Stokes for that because that is in the rule of the rules of the game. Unfortunately, once the ball hits the bat and goes to the boundary, it is just a boundary as such. You can't do anything about it. You can't put your hands up and say, "I don't want to claim that." It has to go in the book. Simple as that. So uh, a number of uh, texts coming in on that particular uh, side of things. And uh, Dino says the Poms will get smashed. Smashed. Uh, never wind up the Colonials. There's a tough... Uh, the Aussies will go 3-0 up. It's uh, what Dino has to say. Uh, let's have a, a little listen into what uh, Pat Cummins uh, has to say uh, as a preview to this test match and um, what he's expecting out of uh, Headingley. I mean, there's been talk this week about the underarm um, incident. Generalists. I think that was 1970s. Um, you know, how far do you want to go back? We've all moved on. Um, as I said the other day, the team did nothing wrong. So we're all, we're all comfortable. And obviously things happen in the, in the heat of, of, of the moment and you've had time to reflect. Would you do the same thing again if presented with the opportunity here? Yep, he should. And uh, Travis said, said, bloody oaf, bloody oaf I would. So you can t- sense the attitude there. Actually, we've got a call uh, in from Finn from uh, Fokatani. Finn, good morning to you. Oh, good morning, Smithy. Hey, look, staying, staying with the cricket, um, with, you know, obviously you've been a, one of our greats and your profile and all that. Um, what I'm really concerned about is the continued underperformance of our women's cricket team. What the hell's going on there? It's continued underperformance for many a years. Where where are we at? What's what's happening? Well, um, in my mind, we've been too reliant on uh, two or three people for too long. And now, of course, uh, we're finding that uh, because of that, 
we have not been able to develop players uh, to a certain standard beneath them. And that, to me, is the problem. Um, you know, Susie Bates, wonderful uh, servant of the game, world-class servant of the game. Uh, Sophie Devine, world-class servant of the game. Uh, and a different age bracket to the other one, who, of course, is Mealy Kerr, who hopefully has a lot more years left in her. But she's going to be very lonely if we don't find some uh, quality very shortly. Uh, Finn, we're going to be on the receiving end of, uh, I think, of some terrible results if we're not careful. Uh, we're, we're pushing for youth in the bowling side of things. Uh, it isn't quite paying a dividend for us yet, uh, and I, I can only uh, surmise I've got the right coaching in behind them to help them and develop their skills to play, be good players in worldwide conditions. But uh, I will say this, um, you know, the batting side of it does concern me because if they don't fire at the top, we're done. We, we don't appear to have a backup plan. Matty Green's showing some signs, but it's taken too long, and the signs are few and far between. Uh, Brooke Halliday um, and Georgia Plummer, these young kids, we seem to have feast or famine in terms of age. We have uh, these older players, and then we have some very younger players. So maybe that's the answer to the question, Finn. In between times, when things were going a little bit better, we took it for granted and did not develop uh, at that time or have contingency plans at that time. Um, and that's all I can surmise. Now, look, I, I would imagine they're getting, I mean, they, they get equal money as the men. So first of all, uh, they're getting equal conditions to play. Um, and at the moment, <clears throat> they're not delivering. I would imagine also, and I hope I'm right in saying this, they would get each equal resources in terms of preparation. Otherwise, the rest of it is inconsequential. If they're not getting uh, adequate facilities to practice in, ample time together as such, um, I would be thinking, what's happening? What's happening there? Because that should be the case. It is pretty poor. Those results are pretty poor. I'm expecting a lot better out, uh, out, the, out of them in the 20s, Finn. But we cannot forget uh, the fact that we just have not developed enough, enough talent in those areas. And I think we have not capitalised on, the, on the, the World Cup. We didn't play well in the World Cup, but we, show, we were shown how the game should be played. Um, that was what, uh, coming up 18 months ago, we were given an absolute blueprint on how to prepare teams and how to play the game by, first of all, Australia, who was so good, and then England, who were very, very good as well. Uh, and then the rest uh, was daylight, and we were part of that gap. So, look, we need to very seriously sit down. We changed our coach. We got a guy called Ben Sawyer out of Australia, uh, of course, and he was part of the super successful, I mean super successful Australian side. We got him. We got him uh, into our ranks. That was a good get, we all thought. Well, was it? Was it a good get? Um, jury's still out because the results uh, don't suggest that that is the case. So, Finn, um, in terms of uh, my fix, uh, that would be um, we've got to develop more talent, got to develop more consistency in all aspects of our game. How we go about that uh, worries me because we might just have missed the boat. Uh, thanks very much for your call, though. Nathan has come in and uh, said, Smithy is a keeper. Would you have done what Gary did? Uh, very easy answer to that, Nathan. No, uh, I would not have. Um, uh, because I played in a different era. I didn't even think about that, to be honest. Uh, particularly off quick bowlers, like a Hadley or, or a Morrison or those guys. Yeah, you're standing quite long. I didn't even think... I didn't even think uh, that a guy who had shoulders, arms, or ducked under a bouncer was trying to steal runs off us or trying to crib things out of the game. 
Uh, so we never even contemplated. No one even in my team came up and said, watch this guy, watch this guy. Uh, he's walking out of his crease. There's an opportunity there. Didn't even talk about it. Can never recall that. Um, and I can't remember it ever happening in any games I played in with the greats, Rod Marsh. Um, I, I would wonder, you know, the late great Rod Marsh, he would have been a, a great phone call about now to say, what did you think of that? What did you think about that? Because they were hard, those buggers. The Chapels and the Marshes, they played the game very, very tough. But they played it very, very fair. And I think the spirit of cricket was much more alive and much more evident back in those days. Short answer, Nathan, wouldn't have done it. Wouldn't have done it. Wouldn't even thought about it. Um, <clears throat> but I, I'm not surprised now with uh, what I see in, in Test cricket. I think uh, that, th- uh, that spirit of cricket as such, that spirit of cricket, uh, the gentlemanly side of the game, uh, the stakes, uh, I think they're making the stakes too high, the importance of it too high. Maybe it's with the coverage and et cetera, but it's just gone. It's, and it, I didn't think for one second that uh, Pat Cummins would call back Johnny Besto. Did not. Did not for one second think that. And uh, because he had to support what his players did, he had to support the feeling in the side. Even if now he sits back in his hotel room thinking, um, you know, we probably still would have won the game, but how it would have been viewed differently. And what about the furor and the ruckus in the long room, which you never would have ever expected to see, ever expected to see uh, in cricket going back in the age as well. Uh, now we see what it's, uh, what it's uh, really come to. Uh, and let's just hope cricket can... Uh, what's that you to say? Cricket is the winner? That's gone out the window too. Louis, got anything to add? Uh, no, not at all, Smithy. I think you've been on an absolute tear the last five minutes, mate, both on the women's cricket and, and that scenario. I think it's, I guess I'm a little bit surprised, but I understand your logic. You're saying that you never would have done it because you never would have thought about it. And that probably shows the evolution of professional sport and how the margins uh, now are so small, right? Any way to get ahead. Not that Biesto was trying to get ahead, but at the same time, Biesto had a brain lapse he deserved that action needed a reaction and that was a punishment it was the consequence Alex Carey is on a huge amount of money he plays professional sport he thinks about cricket he lives and breathes cricket he's not going to miss that opportunity and I guess that's what you're saying that the the sport is completely different we're talking about two different things right well we are talking about two different things um, <clears throat> but I mean would you warn him would you say to Johnny Besto hey mate don't do that again do not do that again um, would you do that no um, uh, I don't think that was the case. Here's another question for you, Louis. Um, mm. With uh, Jimmy Anderson at the end uh, with Josh Tung, right? Uh, mm. Had one of those two guys wandered out of the crease just by the by um, and been run out in that fashion, how do you think the world would have viewed a number 10 or number 11 being dismissed in that fashion to win an Ashes Test match? Any differently? I don't think so. No, to be honest, I don't. Because uh, I think it was consequential enough and it was more... I think the English would have reacted exactly the same. And you've got to remember, I think a lot of this rhetoric has become has come from the reaction just as much as the actual incident itself. A lot of this has come from the dialogue from Stokes, from Baz, from those guys, from Pat Cummins saying, yes, he would do it again. From Travis Head saying that Johnny Bairstow said he would knock his stumps off. Did you hear that clip? I thought that was just quite amazing. The, 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 the hypocritical nature of it all. So all of the noise is what has made this such a big deal. And I think that would have been identical whether it was a tail ender and, and it was to win. And uh, I don't think the Australians care. I think that's the point. They just don't care. why, and, and kind of, why should they? 
they won, they are the better team, they're winning, why would they care? Yeah, well, <clears throat> they don't. Apparently they don't care. But uh, if they're the, clearly the better team, uh, I think they could have won in a different manner, in all honesty. But uh, I'm just saying, if that was the last act of that test match, picking on a 10 or 11 in that manner, as opposed mm-hmm. to a specialist batsman like a Johnny Bairstow, I think it could have even got uglier. There you go. Even uglier. Uh, look, he, he, uh, Joey's, I think, he's sitting on a bit of uh, audio there from Joe Root. Joey, aren't you? Uh, so let's uh, hear what Joe... Now, Joe Root's been quite outspoken and say, let's just settle things down, please. I mean, Joe Root's going back to his home ground of Headingley, where he is the favourite son alongside Johnny Bairstow. Absolutely no doubt about that, I promise you. And uh, the Bairstows have got a terrific history, going back with his, his father, Bluey Bairstow, who uh, was a wicketkeeper for England as well. Uh, and I, I, I know uh, Joe Root would want cricket, uh, I think, to be prevalent rather than reaction or any, uh, I guess so, any ongoing problems. Uh, this is what uh, Joe Root had to say, Joey. We love playing at this venue. You know, you go back to 2019, that Ashes environment, the, the crowd and the, um, the atmosphere that was created throughout that, that test match was, was incredible. Um, you know, that last day, the noise, the... Uh, the interaction from the from the crowd was was exceptional, and you know that's why we love playing here is because we're so well supported, and um, you know it makes for a, a brilliant spectacle. There you go. And on top of that, uh, as I say, he did say, "Look, folks, uh, can I just ask uh, on behalf of uh, the players, etc., can we just uh, play some cricket here?" and uh, it's still Chatfield. Uh, still um, Chatfield's text coming in. One about Chatfield here. Uh, Smithy, are you sure it didn't happen in your day? Uh, I remember you and Chatfield clipping the bales of a palm at the non-striker's end uh, who was cribbing. Thoughts? Yeah, Clark, you're right. Didn't play in that particular match. Uh, didn't have it uh, experienced in any test matches I played in as well. But, um, yeah, you're right. It did happen back in those days and it was frowned upon. Uh, don't you worry about that. Uh, the Aussies got the idea from Johnny Bairstow when he tried on the Aussie batsman on day three. He only has himself to blame. That's from Liam. Yeah, I watched that piece of footage as well. Um, uh, he missed. And uh, I think it was Manus Lubbershane he was uh, aiming at, to be fair. And uh, Manus Lubbershane was well and truly back in his crease at the time. So he would not have been dismissed. But did they get the idea from that? Well, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, but they also um, used it as an excuse. Uh, we didn't get Mike and Gove, but we got a lot of opinion, I think it's fair to say. Uh, mostly just, mine. Smithy, just piss before, and hopefully we can catch up with uh, Mike maybe before the week's done. Just, I am curious, and you can sit on this through the through the spell if you need to. If there, if Johnny Bearstow was dismissed by a mancad-type dismissal, so not backing up, trying to pinch a run, without a warning, would this have been such a big issue, and is it not exactly the same thing? Nah, nah, I don't think so. I don't think so. I'll think about that. I'll think about that. And I also, I've just had uh, a text come in from Barry. You're right, Barry. Did Smithy just say, <laughs> did he just say uh, Marsh and the Chapels played it hard but fair? You're right. Did I just say Chapel and fair in the same sentence? I did, Barry. My bad. I think it's time I went to a break. That's what I'll do. Turn up the volume. We're crossing live to the sports desk. What's fresh? What's making waves? Let's find out. Rightio, Louis Herman Watt. Um, I've talked myself inside out here. Um, and uh, we'll try and get uh, Lightning Mike Angove. Um, uh, if not uh, later today, we'll try and get him tomorrow. 
um, on the preview to that uh, big UFC fight on Sunday and uh, a number of clashes here involving some Kiwi interest with a team on the ground there over in Las Vegas helping to prepare them. Right, uh, Louis, what have you got uh, for us this morning? What offerings? Uh, it's a big congratulations and well done to Alex Pledger who got to go out on his own terms. Smithy. So two-time yep, yep. NZNBL champ, one uh, NZNBL MVP, finals MVP, uh, he won four AMBL titles with, of course, the Breakers, a Commonwealth Games medal, uh, bronze medal. He played 70 times for the Tall Blacks, two World Cups, there's one later on this year. Um, and he got to go out on his own terms, most importantly, after beating that cancer, bowel cancer diagnosis. It's a pretty special career when you paint it like that, to know that he got to go back on the court to then retire, Smithy. Mm. Yeah, it's a great story, actually. We've had Alex Pledger on the show, actually, and just talking about what it meant to him, what it meant to his family, and a real story of, of being a very scared man, a very scared young man, about uh, his future in life, let alone his future on a basketball court, uh, getting through it and getting back to the point where he was competitive at Sal's NBL level. It's a heck of a story, a real good one. Yeah, it's a ripper. Another young man that's um, got bright prospects now on, on his horizon, and this is interesting. The Phoenix have signed their longest ever contract, this, the Wellington Phoenix. Um, yeah, biggest in club's history, longest, that is. 18-year-old academy product, Lucas Kelly Held. He has been signed... How, how long, Smithy, how long would you guess the longest contract in Phoenix history would be that this young man's three, just uh, putting to? I, I would say two years, two years for a contract. It's four years. But for me, that sounded surprising. But maybe that's just the nature of A-League and professional football that they don't sign very long contracts. Yeah, I think professional football is uh, such a transient um, kind of thing. People come and go and, and breeze on through. Uh, from time to time, uh, various trade windows, etc. So, um, but here's a guy with obvious uh, promise that they think, God, uh, we don't want anyone to nab him uh, because we put the hard work into him through an academy system. Uh, we're going to keep him. So uh, that's four years, uh, quite a considerable period of time um, for a side that, I mean, contracts is a piece of paper anyway these days and people get paid a bit. <laughs> to uh, be for fair. A side, for a side that, you know, um, hasn't... Um, has it really threatened um, the, the title as such um, for quite some period of time? Had a good, better year this year. Um, <clears throat> and usually uh, you've got to be in a, a side performing well to be recognised, but keep an eye on that name. Uh, keep an eye on him for future or what um, business as well. Well, if it goes poorly, we can start lifting him in the line-out because he's 1.98 metres tall. Or maybe he can play on the wing for the bus, the Tall Blacks, later on this year at their World Cup. Uh, speaking of, Giannis Antetokounmpo, the world's, one of the world's best handful of basketball players on the planet, he's probably going to be out of the World Cup. He's had a little uh, knee clean-up, an operation on, on one of his knees just to, uh, to sort it out by the time the NBA season comes back around. Um, and I think that probably puts him in doubt. That's good news for the toolbacks because we are in their pool and it is a bit of a tough pool as it was. So I know Andrew Mulligan was saying on Twitter and a few other uh, people that are right into their hoops that he might be 
we might be chances to not grease over now, which would do our favours hugely in that World Cup. So that's pretty cool news. And just on the, the football as well, uh, Vietnam and Norway have touched down for the FIFA Women's World Cup here. So uh, it's all starting to happen. That's going to get really busy really fast. Have you much watched much Wimbledon yet, Smithy? Haven't been able to watch a lot of Wimbledon. Really don't get too heavily invested in it till the pointy end. So uh, probably about from Wednesday on next week. Um, I'll sacrifice a bit of sleep to watch it, but I do enjoy it. I love the occasion there. Uh, incidentally, um, Hawks Bay people should be aware, and they, uh, if they haven't, I've, I've missed out on uh, some uh, marketing, or has there been any? Um, New Zealand uh, football ferns have their last hit out as a team, as a unit. They play Vietnam uh, here on a Monday at McLean Park, so hopefully we'll get a good attendance there and just show, uh, even though Hawks Bay has not been gifted any World Cup proper uh, fixtures, uh, an op- opportunity for uh, all our youngsters and families, etc., uh, to get down and give them a, a good level of support against uh, Vietnam. So that is happening here in Hawke's Bay Monday. So uh, 11.30 here right now. Uh, Louis fir- uh, finished with, uh, the, uh, of course, the Polaris uh, sports desk, and uh, those uh, field days specials are, have carried on thanks to Polaris for that. So... Um, on the Polaris Ranger, for instance, you can get $2,500 worth of free accessories. That is a lot of money and a lot of accessories available to you. So a terrific deal. It is 11.31. Uh, we're going to have uh, an opportunity for you to win here on uh, Stump Smithy, 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. Playing for the $95 package of uh, Deer Velvet capsules, courtesy of Canes. A uh, really good time of the year to be getting those uh, into your system. $95, a great value. So, yeah, 0800-150-811, Stump Smithy, up for grabs. After the news here with Aroha. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Joey Bell's on the desk today. He's made a selection of uh, the people taking part today. And, of course, as always, uh, Louis Herman Watt will be uh, the quiz master. So, uh, Louis, who's in line today? Uh, we know what we're playing for, uh, but what are the categories? Yeah, what are the categories? Great question, Smithy. Uh, it looks like we've got golf, we've got athletics, and we've got tennis. So um, you you would have been a pretty decent uh, hammer thrower, maybe? Javelin? Javelin? I'm just trying to picture you and your prime, Smithy. Man, my prime, I couldn't even lift a shot put. I was that skinny. I don't know Frisbee what's happened, flop. but there you go. Frisbee flop. Uh, Frisbee flop. Uh, more scissors. Scissors. Scissor, scissor jumper. And the high jump back in my day, yeah. Scissor. Sprinter, mate. Sprinter. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Actually, I can see you powering away over the last 100 and 400. Right, let's get down to Brad and Dunners. Um, Brad, what's your athletic? Um, if you do the decathlon, what, what would you be, dollar ten in? Ah, uh, the 11th one. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Okay, very good. Very good, Brad. Well, you're playing for some a punnet of Kane's Deer Velvet Capsules, $95 worth. Uh, this is the good stuff as well. So what do you want, golf, tennis, or athletics? Oh, none of them, really. Um, we'll go athletics, eh? <laughs> yeah, Sure. Joe. Do, 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 do. 
just Wait, be with do, him, Joey. Do, 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 do. I, I don't know where the thing is. Oh, there is, there is. I got, I got it, I got it. I got it. <laughs> Thank you, Joey. <laughs> Timmy, we're kind of oh. lucky. It's taken, taken 24 minutes to 12 before he's managed to put a foot wrong. You turn it down a little bit there, Joe. Thank you. Wonderful. Right, Brad, <laughs> I got that out of the way. Which country, from which country, does the defending 100-metre men's Olympic gold medalist, this is a sprint, Marcel Jacobs, come from? Oh. Uh, what are you, Ruffy? I don't think it's the States or Jamaica, is it? Um, we'll go USA. I'm not actually... No clue. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. I think it's a Caribbean name, Marcel. So I'm going to go Trinidad and Tobago. Trinidad and Tobago. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Half tracker dispatched. Brad, you were halfway there. It's a, it's a, you, you should have gone rough. Italy, the Italians. Right, good coffee, yeah, fast cars, and fast sprinters, allegedly. So there you go. You were halfway there. Right. Uh, staying with the sprinting theme, which A-League side did the fastest man in the world, Usain Bolt, play for after he retired from sprinting and, and actually took up a professional football career? Um, I don't know if he, did he play an actual professional game for them, but it's the... Uh, an exhibition yeah. game. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's not complex. Very good. Right in the slot, and away it goes. No, he's a bit, had a bit of a clumsy touch. He was a, he was just pure pace, like a greyhound down the wing, but not overly helpful to the Mariners, who are a good side nowadays. Right, to finish this off, this is a tough question. In 1996, Linford Christie did not get his chance to defend his title in the men's 100-metre final after he was disqualified during the heats. For which reason? Would have to be a false start, wouldn't it? Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. What's tough about that question? What's tough about that? How's he else is he going to get disqualified? A drug test halfway down the run at the straight? It had to be a false start, Louis. Never a tough question at all. Uh, anyway, Brad, you've won. You've done it again, uh, and uh, I suggest that you uh, stay on the line. And um, if possible, Joey will get this right and he'll get make sure that he has got uh, your details, all your details coming through successfully so we can get those uh, Canes, Dear Velvet capsules to you as soon as possible, mate. Have a terrific week. Hey, uh, yeah, cheers, Millie. Cheers, Louis. All the best. Yeah, all the very <laughs> best. A uh, lo- <laughs> lot of fun there. A lot of fun. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Joe, if you can handle that, that'll be fantastic. We'll take a short break in the meantime. When we come back, we've got uh, more texts to read out, a bit of humble pie. Uh, for me to eat uh, over a certain statement I made a little bit earlier and uh, then we'll work towards uh, talking to Staffy prior to his show this afternoon It's 11.44 let's uh, get through uh, a few of uh, the texts that have uh, come in yes uh, I apologise Greg Chappell um, did not do that in the spirit of the game Um, so I've got a a number of texts uh, on that regard and Chris has come in very Chappell equals underarm remember you were there yes Chris okay I've got the message uh, the fact of the matter, Smithy, uh, is the ball should have been called dead because in reality it was. Yeah, this is a timing thing. It's a very interesting point you make uh, because 
when is it deemed to be dead? It's deemed to be dead when the umpires uh, basically say it's dead. They don't say dead ball, but they just acknowledge it. Now, I haven't seen all the footage here, but I've read varying reports that the, the umpires had made motions to say that that was the end of the over without, so that other words had taken steps towards new... Uh, I mean, uh, there is so much there. If you had all the camera angles, and if it went to court, you'd probably have to have them, uh, but it's not going to, thank God. But uh, there's <laughs> so many conflicting reports about just how this damn thing uh, went about and how the timing of it, the unfolding, the fact that uh, Besto didn't look back at Kerry, but he did put his foot back in the crease as if to say, I'm home, not going anywhere, but he did go somewhere. Um, the, the fact is he wasn't, he wasn't trying to punish, uh, he wasn't trying to punish Australia. I mean, like, it's not like he was trying to crib a run or crib some ground in that respect. Um, he just got casual. He got casual and he got pinged for it. And, and a number, I think, uh, it's interesting to know, he's had naff all defence from high-profile high English um, people uh, in terms of former cricketers. No one's really come to his aid. Andrew Strauss uh, has said just absolutely ridiculous. Owen Morgan said just a stupid thing to do. He's dozy. Uh, he fell asleep. Um, you know, uh, NASA has saying right, totally Johnny Best, those fault. There's, these are high-profile guys who have been gone head, and, uh, you know, head to head against Australia over the years, saying that uh, it was totally on Johnny. Uh, how about a shout out to the Pyro Senior A rugby boys who are playing Howricky North uh, in the Tem- Thames Valley Rugby Union semi-finals this Saturday? Go the Green Machine. That's from Redmond. Uh, no problem at all. Uh, yeah, very important time for club rugby. It is their little window, uh, shall we say, where they can shine. Um, and hopefully they, they're enjoying it all and uh, the sides that are getting through it, uh, getting um, all their players back from certain levels of rugby so they can at least be at uh, full strength. Uh, if you want to see some match fixing, look no further than your afternoon hosts, Beaver and Kirsty. They changed the rules on Brad, so I'm glad that he won a prize. So that's uh, from Brian uh, sticking up. And that's uh, for Brian. And having a crack at Beaver and Kirsty, I never would have thought for one second. Beaver, I wouldn't. Uh, Beaver, I'm not sure I'd trust. Uh, Kirsty, I would have thought, pure as the driven snow, would never change the rules of a competition. Um, so yeah, that surprises me. Um, Smithy, Lord Ian Botham and Ian Chapel. it's childish, they need to shake hands, and it's not good for the game of cricket. Mark, well, it's a ratings winner. Uh, there's no doubt about it, Mark. Uh, and it isn't. It is not a good look for either of them. To be perfectly honest, I know both of them. I've um, been out to dinner with both of them, not together. I add, and um, we've never really talked about those those uh, kind of clash that they have. Uh, but it is not good. It's not pretty, um, and it is sad really because in their own right, they are champions of the game. They really are champions of the game. Uh, both of them are regarded as one of the greatest cricketers that ever walked the planet. Uh, not by Ian Chappell, but uh, he is by um, most pundits. Ian Chappell was regarded as one of the game's great um, st- strategists, I think it's fair to say. Uh, years ahead of his time in thinking about um, strategy. He had some great bowlers, great players up his sleeve to, uh, to, to get those uh, strategies to come to pass. But he was a fantastic thinker of the game, and you can hear that in his commentary. He, he noticed this thing on a, on a field of play, things that other people just do not even consider. Uh, and he's outspoken about it, and that's why uh, he's uh, popular in some areas and unpopular <laughs> in others. And uh, here we go. In high school, 
I made a block. As it was near the end of the over, I walked up. I made a block, so I blocked the ball. As it was near the end of the over, I walked up to chuck the ball to the fielder, but he got there first and ran me out. That was 1998. I'm still dark. I would be too. Uh, that's the other thing. Don't handle the ball from now on in this series because if you touch the ball as a batsman, um, look out. And I would be thinking, don't do that. It's one of the first things I would say. And I noticed, Louis, that you're going to say something to me, but I have to congratulate you on uh, behalf of Leanne from Palmerston North who says, thanks, Louis, for Sea Shepherd bet. Here's hoping the others come in as well. So Sea Shepherd uh, obviously getting up convincingly. Yeah, one like a good thing. It was a bit of a wait special, wasn't it, Leanne? Hey, Chris just made me think there. Adam Collins, who, who leads our coverage at, during this Ashes series, been fantastic along with Barat, and it's been really good listening. But he, he had a theory, Smithy, and you've probably played... Have, did, you, did you ever play first-class cricket in Australia? No, I played tour games, which were classed as first-class cricket, like played against New South Wales, Queensland... Um, and uh, West Australia, um, you know, and so we did, played Tasmania, so they were first-class games as such, but only a touring capacity, never went and played as an individual, no. Well, I mean, I imagine you, you've got a pretty good and innate understanding of the Australian cricket psyche, but Adam Collins, who, who said, he made an interesting point that the difference in mentality here around would Australia, would, would England have called, would Stokes and England have called uh, Bearstow back and vice versa, and Australia's unapologetic ruthlessness, it probably stems from all the way from club cricket, you know, in those competitive grades at grade cricket level, where there's that real kind of hard, not nastiness, but a real edge to that Australian mentality whereas in English cricket and Adam was saying and this is just in his experience he's played club cricket in both countries it's a bit nicer a bit more proper where in Australia if you're a youngster and you get it brought into a seniors or a reserves team you have to earn your spot and if you drop a catch if you have a string of low scores they will treat you like everyone else and it can be quite ruthless at times I was wondering do you think there's any logic or any merit to that that theory around niceties and ruthlessness goes back further than that. It goes back a lot further than that. I mean, I can remember when we played a game of cricket, uh, Richard Hadley um, played, uh, we playing in, in Geelong. Uh, Richard Hadley felled one of the Australian um, batsmen, um, I think it was Victorian country batsman. I can't remember his name, but he went down, he didn't have a helmet on. And Richard Hadley thought that, I wouldn't say it was disrespectful, but he thought, well, this guy obviously backs himself against the short ball, gave it to him and, and KO'd him, absolutely felled him on the pitch, hit him fair and square, uh, and Richard Hadley uh, went to walk off uh, at the lunch break, and he was pelted, and he was pelted with uh, stones and ice block sticks, and it was on a, f- a football ground, so they have a cage over the top of where the entrance in there, but they were poking little stones and things, and these are kids, <laughs> these are 10 or 11 year old kids having a real old crack at Sir Richard Hadley, and if they hadn't been so young, uh, it was almost... It was almost like uh, comical. Here's the other thing about um, the psyche of Australians. In Australia, when the kids come home from sport, mum or dad will ask them if they won. Over here and in England, they'll say, did you have fun? Would you like to go back again next week with your friends and have more fun? In Australia, did you get any runs? Did you get any tries? Did you win? That's where it comes from. That's where it comes from. It is, uh, it's ingrained. It's 11.53. You never met a, you will never meet a fairer person, a, a more sporting person than Mark Stafford. We'll hear from him very shortly. Brand.
Land are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Rightio, it's 11.58, time to get across to uh, Mark Stafford, who is our resident hot dog eating contest caller. I tried one at the end, Smithy, 15 seconds for one. I can't believe they, Sam Hewitt only got two and a half in two minutes. Feeble. Uh, yeah, a damn, a, a damn pathetic effort, to be mm. perfectly honest, a damn pathetic effort. Uh, anyway, uh, your show will be anything but... Uh, that. So what have you got lined up this afternoon, mate? I uh, look pretty excited today, Smithy. Straight after the 12 o'clock news, Mike Rogers, the new Manawatu rugby coach. But, yes, he's Manawatu, but I want to talk to him about the difficulty of um, recruiting. You know, all of these NPC teams. I mentioned yesterday, Smithy, each NPC team, when you add them all up, they need 70 front rowers to play, or 70 props in the NPC. Mm. Where do they find them? What's his hardest bit being with recruitment? Uh, he's also the assistant coach of the New England Free Jacks, who are in the final of Major League Rugby this weekend, taking on uh, the San Diego Legion and a 41-year-old Manonu lining up at second five. He got a drop goal in the semi-final last week, did Mark. Wow. And wow. also going to talk to Rico Beerman. He is a BMX rider who's won the first four World Cup events over in Europe. So we'll be catching up with him after one and Tony Johnson after two. Lots going on. Cool. Okay, Steph, good luck with that. Uh, Carl says, I remember going to Auckland Club Rugby Final in the 80s. It was Maris versus Ponsonby. The Brook Brothers and other All Blacks were playing. The crowd was around 15,000. How times have changed. Absolutely. Uh, thank you very much, Joey, uh, for your work this morning. To Araha, outstanding as well. And to Louis for putting it all together. We shall be back uh, here tomorrow morning at 9.